Welcome to Screen Masters with me, Bav. Me, Fluff. And today on the show, other than a little bit more lag than we're used to, we're going to be discussing the Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy. Kind of. Kind of the trilogy. Uh, But first, of course, before we get to that, I would like to turn to the words of Chad Kroger and Saliva and say... And they say a hero can save us. I'm not going to stand here and wait. I'll hold on to the wings of the eagles. Watch as we all fly away. And you know what? That's the first time I've ever actually looked at the lyrics to that song. They don't make a fucking bit of sense. No. No, they're, they're, but then again, it was probably written by Chad Kroger, so that yeah, sort well, of that's explains just it. Back I down to a really. tea, isn't it? <clears throat> there you go. Um, <laughs> yeah. Over to the admin section then. So if you want to join in the conversation, ladies and gentlemen, you can head over to facebook.com forward slash the screen masters. You can comment on any of the posts over there, post on the wall, uh, send us a message through that system. You can also find us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash the SM underscore pod or at the SM underscore pod. And for the YouTube, it is bit.ly forward slash bite back YT. So with those little bits and pieces out of the way, is there any news you'd like to discuss this week? I'm trying to think. Well, I mean, I've watched a few things. Um, well, it's up again, to you, but you're going to have to be very, very unspoilery about them. Oh, unfortunately, you've not watched anything so far then. Okay, so all I'll say is I no, have... I didn't manage to make it to the cinema for Tenant this week. Okay, and, so um, I haven't seen Tenant. And... I, uh, I haven't started The Boys yet, so... Yeah, well, actually, uh, so I wasn't aware of this until I actually got through it uh, there are only three episodes of the boys they're oh releasing... that kind of explains it i thought saw three yeah. episodes on a download site and was like oh i bet yeah. the downloader just hasn't put them up yet then yeah i thought the and same then thing went to netflix <laughs> and checked it out uh, sorry amazon and was like oh oh okay yeah yeah but i didn't uh, check I... in the length i mean are they longer or is it like three one and a half hour episodes or no. is it just three sort of no, no, standard no. length episodes they are standard length like hour-long episodes and they will then be releasing them concurrently uh every friday for the, the next few weeks until the finale hits essentially i think the finale is like a two-hour uh finale so they've kind of okay, done a three-hour so start two-hour end and individuals in between which uh, i can i mean i i wonder whether this is part of obviously their strategy or whether it is simply because of uh the current pandemic that they actually had to go you know what it's going to take us a little while to produce these we're not going to get them out in bulk but let's yeah we want to give uh, someone yeah give we want to give something. them yeah we've we've given the start date we'll give them something and then we'll release them so yeah so i'm only three episodes in which i was a bit like oh crap like i get you get to the third episode and you kind of go I need more. I, I need more at this point. So yeah, it, it left it. I left the third one on a on a note where you really want the next one. So yeah, in in that respect, it's great. But sucks as a as a bulk watcher. Oh god, it sucks because I didn't know until I got to the end of the third episode, and I was like, "Where's the where's the next one?" So I actually uh, renew, renewed my Amazon subscription, thinking, "Oh, it's it's only on Amazon." No, they're just not there. So that was a that was a stupid part on me. I'm afraid. 
I say, yeah, I will be, uh, I will be watching it on Amazon. Oh, I might, I might start it then if there's only three up there to start with. I just thought I can't commit to watching the whole thing, yeah, like uh, quickly. So I might just leave it till I've got the time to get through it all. But actually, if they're going to do it weekly, I can work with that. I figured, yeah. So uh, I, I know you're, you, you, like Back you say, the old days. Yeah, you, you're, you're, you've never usually been able to get through like an entire series in a day like I do because you have other well, commitments. No, yeah, I have children. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You have other commitments. So it, it's a little bit easier for me. So yeah, I started watching it and I got to the third and I was oh, shit. So yeah, but never mind. Uh, and yeah, so obviously you have seen Tenet as well, but I can't talk about that because you've not seen it. So then, no, that's it. And I'm going to have to see it soon. <laughs> I'm going to have to see it soon. I'll, I'll possibly do it Monday or Tuesday because there, there was a video I was watching, a you know, random wrestling YouTube video, with a bit of news, and they were like, "Oh yes, this looks like this from Tenant. and I was like, "What? What? What's that? I don't understand what that sentence means." So I was like, "Shit, I'm going to have to watch this film so that." The, the the memes and the pop culture that's going to come out of this mm-hmm. is going to make sense. But it, I tell you what, it did um, for the first time in a long while. I felt like that because there has been no pop culture touchstone for a while. I find, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I think it's something that's come over the last few years as well. You know, the, 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 because there's so much choice now, and there's so many streaming services, and people don't necessarily pay for them all. And don't necessarily know where they would find them otherwise, you know, uh, VPNs to allow you to stream American versions of Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and that sort of stuff. You know, you can find a lot of the things over there. Um, But I don't, you know, the the average layman wouldn't know that. So it just seemed to me that, you know, what we would call perhaps water cooler TV or, you know, Mm -hmm. the, the show or the thing that everyone is talking about. I feel that sort of starting to slip away a little bit. I think we Mm -hmm. get times when it does come back and tenant uh tenant particularly i keep calling it tenant tenant but tenant particularly seems to have hit that possibly because it's like the first blockbuster to come out post pandemic in the cinema yeah. so everyone's like oh fuck i gotta go cinema to see this yeah again, I mean, the thing fair, is, i'd be waiting for home uh... video if it was any other movie but it's not yeah. it's christopher nolan and it's one of his big ones and it's going to yeah. be nuts and incredible and sound amazing and i want to see it properly yeah, so it's uh, I will go to the cinema for it. Fully masked up, but I will go to the cinema. As you say, it it is a case that there are so many shows and and there's stuff out almost every week in terms of streaming. Uh, you know, the boys is out now, and yeah, it will run concurrently for the next uh, you know month or so, and and that'd be great because that is a talking point. But it's it, that's the thing. It's like that's and then on to the next one, and then on to the next one, then to the next one. So yeah. it, it's that continuation. Um, I will state that if you go to our local cinema, um, perhaps try and avoid uh, uh, Screen 8, because I went in and I came out twice, so I missed the first couple of minutes of the film because I came out complaining. Now, we, we, we both worked there 20 years ago, yeah, so I know, the, I know the screen size and I know what it, it should be doing. And yeah, I was like, course. you need to tell the projectionist that that's not full screen. So the girl's like, oh, well, I've spoken to such and such a person. He comes in, so well, I've pressed the button and I'm like... They don't have projectionists anymore. They quite literally no, no. have Did no. You don't know they concept. don't have a projectionist. It's the team leader. We would have yeah. understood as the team leaders, basically. Yeah. So he Put didn't have a fucking on the clue. digital projectors. And I swear Crazy. the screen was literally half the size. I'd seen trailers in the full screen. This is literally yeah. half the size. It detracted quite a bit for me, and it pissed me off because I missed the first five minutes because I was arguing with them. They're like, "Oh, well, we press the button," and I'm like, "Guys, I worked here once upon a time. That is not full screen." 
So just be careful of that if you do go to our local. Yeah, and again, it's not like uh, you know, um, films like uh, The Lighthouse, for example, that was released had a very obscure screen ratio Mm. when you watched it. It wasn't as you would normally see it in the cinema. It was smaller. It was because of the 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 way it was shot and the the point. You know, it's got a point to it. But yeah, Nolan isn't like that. Nolan is. He shoots. I want to shoot as big as I can. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, so, the first thing that he'd shot entirely on IMAX, so I would so, have thought he's probably yeah. tried the same thing here. So yeah, it should fill the screen entirely. So be be mindful of that. Uh, it detracted yeah. away from me a little bit, um, but again, I won't say more until you've actually seen it yourself. Mm-hmm. Okay, no worries. All right, let's uh, let's push on then. So yes, I decided to pick Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy to look at this time and i tell you for why ladies and gentlemen the for why is because up until marvel well let's yeah actually it only held the title for about four years but it held the title because it was such a cut above everything else but in 2004 spider-man 2 although to be more specific i actually prefer the 2.1 version or the extended version as it is in the states um that was my favorite superhero film ever um because it, it you know it I, I don't know part of me wants to say i know it's a it's difficult to use these phrases and keep a straight face sometimes but i feel like it redes- redefined superhero movies a little bit um in terms of what they could achieve and what they could now do with modern technology and how good cgi was looking at that time um and, and things like that and and it stands out for me as amazing so basically this is an excuse for me to gush about how much i love spider-man 2 um and spider-man 1 spider-man 1's okay but 2 is just an entirely different kettle of fish for me it's just an incredible incredible movie um we may talk about 3 but i'm gonna be straight up here i started watching it'll three be brief because i thought i'm gonna watch it i'm gonna watch it I started watching it. I got 20 minutes in. I'd got a page full of negativity. I turned mm-hmm. it off. Yeah. I thought I'm not. Uh, I'm, I, don't <laughs> want to do that. I want. No. I picked this episode because I wanted it to be positivity. Obviously, flaws. Everything has flaws. That's fine. We can point out mm-hmm. flaws as we go. So I wouldn't say Spider-Man Two is a perfect film, but I do think it's incredibly good. And and you know, I think it's got it's got merits uh, to be. You know, I think it's worthy of of being called that. Um, you know. Uh, an amazing superhero film particularly at the time like i say it only held the title for four years because then marvel came along and did iron man and blew me away again and showed me an entirely different way of doing superhero films because again i feel with sam raimi's ones again particularly spider-man 2 i i you know it's like spider-man's flying through new york it's like he's swinging around real new york whereas um the marvel you know iron man took it I don't want to say it took it away from reality a little bit, but it certainly felt more comic booky. It, it felt more out of a comic book, and and I don't know how to define that any better than that. I just it feels glossier. It feels yeah, more well, like a comic it, book. it's also the 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 difference in in the hero as well. <clears throat> Peter Parker, Spider Man, has always been a to a certain degree street level hero. Yeah, you're uh, whereas you look at Iron Man, and he's more you know worldwide cosmic you know you know he, yeah. he puts on a suit of armor he can go anywhere and do anything he's got that whereas the whole thing with 
Peter Parker and Spider-Man, as we will probably discuss in this, is that he cares about the common man, and that's that's the important thing to him. Yeah, Not absolutely. to say that Iron Man doesn't, but he has a bigger picture. He he kind of looks at the the whole thing, whereas Spider-Man goes, well, "Hang on a minute, you're hurting one individual. That's that's not on, you know." Whereas, not to say Tony Stark wouldn't, uh, but that's not that that you know, it, it's it's not in his grand scheme. So yeah, let's start with Spider-Man One then. So I don't, I, I like this film, but it it does annoy me. There's uh, essentially, I think it takes too long to get going. And I just think this is an issue with the Spider-Man character. If you're a fan or if if maybe it's a generational thing, you know, I grew up watching the 90s Spider-Man cartoon Mm -hmm. and I knew about Spider-Man. I was fully aware of Spider-Man's origin. And this film takes an hour to go through Spider-Man's origin before we then crack Mm -hmm. on with the Green Goblin thing. Now, Again, maybe it's just watching it in the modern day going backwards. Maybe we're just more attuned to things getting going a bit quicker these days, because they do. Mm. I mean, mm-hmm. sort of, I, I think, if I think back to Iron Man, I'm, I'm, I think he's sort of, he's Iron Man within about 40 minutes. If I'm right, I can't remember exactly, but... Well, you know, uh, you know Mark 1, you know, the, the, the cave. Yeah, yeah, the Mark 1, yeah, the, he the, comes the out. escape yeah. from the cave, and then he's working on his shit, you know. That's yeah, yeah, his yeah. origin, isn't it? When he's out and he does the press conference. But but then again, maybe that's just because it does it in a different way, because it, it, it jumbles up the narrative to make it more interesting. It starts in the middle of the fight and then it goes back and explains how he got there and then it goes after the event and shows it. So maybe that just makes it more interesting so you don't realise how long it's taking. But, you know, and again, maybe it's just a hark back to the time that this was made, um, that, that that's what, what happens. Um, but yeah, so we've got Tobey Maguire, Peter Parker nerdy kid at school fancies mary jane um is it a science thing radio um genetically modified spiders and gets bitten by one fine develops his powers overnight which i think is a quite good way of uh demonstrating it i like the fact he wakes up and you know his vision's blurry and you know i think they do the 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 sort of discovering the powers goes quite well um obviously i'm not i'm, I'm not a huge fan of the organic webs but that's a fairly, you know, that's a core thing. So you're either going to go with it or you're not. As soon as I realized that's what they were doing, you just kind of have to accept it to be able to watch the films in the first place. If, you know, when you realize they're not going to do web shooters. Okay. Um, but yeah. I. Shit, I don't know, man. So you say about the web shooters, it is one of the things, like you say, the uh, you know the organic side of it, and we see the. Okay. I'm I'm not I'm not with it. I'm not with it. again make your point from uh yeah start from the organic webbing thing if you want so yeah as you say about the organic web it is something which uh, uh obviously is developed for the scope of the movie we obviously now 
have a Spider-Man who has it in a different capacity, but it opens up avenues for different kinds of web shooters and things like that. Now, they restricted it back then. So, again, it's, you know, I understood the need for it to to occur there, but it also doesn't show off his scientific prowess, whereas it does a little bit more in in the later versions of of the Spider-Man film iterations. Yeah, although when I think about Spider-Man 2, actually, he does use web bullets. At one stage when he's shooting Doc, suddenly they're balls that he's shooting at him rather than webs when he's on side the building in the Doc Ock fight. So, but then I, I never even noticed that until this time, actually, and it never occurred to me. How does he do that? Yeah, that, that's the ultimate question. Them up and shoot them. That doesn't make yeah, sense. Yeah, but... Or as you say, it, in Homecoming yeah. or Far From Home, it's, right, you know, you've got the different modes and you set the mode and then it shoots what you want. It just makes a little bit more sense. Um. Obviously, we've got to mention the uh, the the opening wrestling sequence uh, that that he undertakes to try and win the money to buy a car for Mary Jane, uh, well, rather to buy a car to impress Mary Jane. Hmm. Um, and the wrestler he fights is none other than Macho Man Randy Savage, hmm. playing Bonesaw. Um, I. D- I don't know how much longer he lived after that, actually. Not very long. He, he was, uh, he, he, he time, was in a car it? accident, uh, I think a year or two just, just yeah. after that, unfortunately. So, so it's such a shame. But yeah, I, I, I always pop when I see him there. I like that. Um, obviously, being a Sam Raimi movie, we've got to have our usual staples. So we've got mm. Bruce Campbell, mm-hmm. um, who in this one is the ring announcer in the wrestling uh, match. And uh, also the Oldsmobile. Sam Raimi's car in every single one of his films he puts the Oldsmobile or it's his dad's car or something like that. It, that's the one that Uncle Ben drives isn't exactly. it? Exactly, in the Spider-Man yeah. movies it's Uncle Ben's car so it's always on the driveway at uh, Aunt May's at least once and then even the the flashbacks that we get in Spider-Man 2 and 3 mm. are all inside the car talking to Ben um, so that that's where it appears in this it, it's also in a part of a chase sequence in two it's one of the cars that it's driving alongside a carlsberg truck and spider-man jumps off the car onto the truck in in a chase sequence in the second film i think as well um so obviously we go through the uncle ben thing which again if we think you know if you're a young listener a youngish listener listening to this you 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 know the uncle ben thing hasn't really been explored in the not massively anyway in the in the uh, the new ones, has it? The the homecomings and and far from no. Home. I um, feel but... we had sort of they they sort of put Tony Stark in a it, to give the lesson, if I remember rightly. Tony Stark gives him the power and responsibility lesson. I mean, but there's, there's he, they don't speech, even want to phrase it yeah. that way, do they? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's there's a speech, but you also get the underlying idea that yeah, he's his uncle was a factor in his life. But again, they they, they made the smart decision not to repeat. Yeah, going over the origin story, like with Batman. Unfortunately, uh, you know we've got now what will be the fourth iteration of Batman coming soon. Yeah. Um, will this give us the exact same fucking backstory that we already know about Bruce Wayne? Yeah, yeah, if, uh, yeah. We better not get an origin we, story. Seen, no one yeah. needs a, a Batman origin story at this point no. in time. Like no. you it's said, the same I, with totally Superman agree. as well. It was Superman, like, yeah, Jesus Christ. Like we we've seen them. We we, we know them. Like just. Skip over them a little bit, can't you? Uh, exactly. like, I, I mean, they occurred, but making the comparison to Homecoming, I love the fact that the origin in Homecoming is 
Oh, so you were bitten by a spider, were you? Okay, right, right, right. That, it's like a little aside comment, him and Gank walking down the street, and he's sort of asking him about it a little bit. And Spider-Man gives him, you know, and Pete, um, yeah, the character gives him a, a, a very short answer as to what happened. It's like, okay, that explains it. That's enough. But yeah, like you say, it's such a pop culture thing. I, 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 you know, alien fell from out of space in a spaceship, Superman. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, child parents killed in front of him. Uh, inherits all their money, becomes a crime fighter, Batman, bitten by a radioactive spider, Spider-Man. You know, they, they, people know them. They just know them. You don't need to retread the same ground. Um, and, and like I say, even in 2002, when this was released, I still felt the same then. Because um, I was at the cinema at the time. I think you probably were yeah. as well, weren't you? Yeah, we were. We were working um, there at the, at the same time. Did you ever see the uh, just a tangent back slightly? Did you ever see the uh, the original trailer for the first one? The one that included the that two towers before they uh, yeah. yeah before they got rid of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. Uh, yeah, I got I'm, to see it a couple of times. Before I'm sure one it. one one person that we knew at the cinema, I think, had the still the actual it. negatives, hasn't he? Yeah, he's our, got the, our friend Mr. Dave Ball from yeah. uh, Phil and Dave's Excellent Adventure. They yeah, Dave has got the film reel of that trailer and still has it, as far as I'm aware. Um. But yes, for those that don't know, they they shot because uh, obviously 2002 was the release of the film, so trailers were out 2001 ish, and the first trailer featured Spider-Man um, chasing a, or I think he broke up a heist or something, and they were getting away in a helicopter, and he was chasing the helicopter, and he spun a massive web between the twin towers in uh, in New York and caught the helicopter in in the towers. Obviously. September the 11th then happened and they decided very very rightly that perhaps that trailer wasn't appropriate anymore I mean take your yeah. pick uh, at the, the time moving uh, vehicles it's... flying into or close to the towers yeah uh, the fact that the towers don't exist anymore and you're putting them in there you know it's yeah. it was difficult um there were a lot of films at the time I think uh, if I remember rightly swordfish was was pulled from cinemas at the time because it it, it was a bit close to the bone they felt. Uh, even in what that was doing, um, but yeah, yeah, like I say, that's just a, an interesting thing out there for those that don't know. There was, there, there is this sort of this mythical trailer that that does still exist uh, that was never actually uh, well was used very briefly and then was pulled. Um, I mean, the, like I say, the power, uh, to go back to where we were then. So the, the sort of Uncle Ben, the power and responsibility stuff. I do, I, I think that still really works, and it's always stuck with me that 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 you know with great power comes great responsibility it's it's a, a truism it's it's a you know potentially a cliche in the modern day but that's that's where it comes from and you know i always and, laugh when i watch go, go on no i it was it's just because the uh the ironic thing is that you know there, there is the counter uh you know thing with uh with great com- power comes great responsibility um but it, it's also you know, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And you look at the modern day and you look at what the state of the world is. And unfortunately, people aren't going on the Spider-Man side of that that power and responsibility. They're more, let's abuse this power as much as we can, which is, yeah, you know, absolutely. it's a shame. Um, and and that's, that's the thing. Yeah, loads of people talk about why people love comic books and, and comic book heroes and stuff like that. And it's, yeah, the, the, that idealistic version. And guess what? Yeah, Spider-Man lives up to that power and responsibility absolutely uh, um which obviously gets explored far far deeper in the second film when we get there um and, and 
you know, as a criticism to Homecoming, as we're probably going to end up making comparisons to the, the other movies that have come since as we go through. But I, I, I've never understood why Homecoming didn't just say power and responsibility. Because <laughs> I'm fairly sure he sits there and says something like, if you have the ability to do yeah, something yeah, yeah. and you don't, well you should because it's your moral duty to do something and i'm just sitting there going christ can you write a more fluffy bullshit way of just saying with great power comes great responsibility i never understood why they didn't do it it's your own fucking character just use the phrase that goes with your character um so yeah as i say i i I wish we'd crack on a little bit quicker before we get going but i've got a I've got to talk about JJJ. I, that, um, <laughs> yeah, Jonah, just every single scene that, that is a JJ segment, I, I just laugh. He's just so good. And thankfully, the actor's name has just come to me, which was what I was J. stalling for, J.K. Simmons, because he's Tenzin. Yes. Uh, in Korra, which, uh, The Legend of Korra, which I'm watching with the children at the minute, because we've now finished Avatar. So we've moved on to Cora, because um, Hal wanted to watch that and even wants to rewatch it. So yes, he's Tenzin in that. And uh, again, we're just into the second season where his siblings get introduced. So he becomes a bit more funny because he's got Boomy and Kyra around him. Um, I, I still think J.K. Simmons, and I think this has proved itself in 2020. I still think he's the best casting of any any comic book character ever. I don't think there has been a better, more perfect cast member. Sure. Oh, um, I, I, you know the one argument that's just popped into my head? Maybe Tom Holland as Spider-Man. The, the thing is, I think uh, after, you know, we, we discussed a lot, uh, you know, on, on previous one about uh, the late, great Chadwick Boseman, fantastic as Black Panther. I, I, again, yeah, I, look at, I look at that role and i think not sure anybody else could could do that i don't you know i don't want them recasting again we're not going to have that conversation right now uh but that's the thing hugh jackman is wolverine uh you know there's there's many but in terms of the comedic elements and the literal taking of a character from the page and putting them on screen yeah jk simmons i mean jesus christ he's so good that they had him do you know uh voice parts for for cartoons as well and he's now being brought back in the third iteration of the Spider-Man universe now because he's that fucking good and that notable in that role that they went, guess what? You're in the first trilogy. We're not going to talk about the second trilogy or second film set because why would we? Because Amazing Spider-Man was just hogwash dogs bollocks. But this third one, okay, let's bring him back because he's fantastic. I'm down for it. Totally yeah, down Yeah, absolutely. For it. And that, that's my point. It's, it's proven. I, I feel it proves itself that he is obviously perfect casting when Marvel, with all that they've got under their belt now, have gone, yeah, actually, we can't think of anyone better to play JJJ. Can you come back and do it again? Because, like, you're brilliant at it. Maybe that's what I mean. In, in, in hearing you describe what it was like, maybe I mean that it's the most perfect comic book to TV screen or, you know, comic to screen translation. Mm-hmm. When I see JJJ, it is exactly what I always imagined he would sound like, look like, and act like. You know, it's the impression yeah. I got from the comics. Yeah, they have um, a range. And I suppose other ones like like Black Panther and stuff. I never, I haven't read that much Black Panther comics, so I don't mm-hmm. know the character in the comics well enough to know how good a portrayal he he you know Chadwick did. Um, uh, same with Wolverine, you know, because I know a lot of people moaned about 
Jackman's height for Wolverine because Wolverine's not supposed to be that tall or something, was he? But, you know, how far do you go with it, for God's sake? I, you know, I mean, we're, we're living I in the modern he was pretty age, damn you know, good it, at what I understood to be Wolverine or Logan, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's it. You you get through to, to Logan and you watch Logan and you tell me that that is not Wolverine. That You know, it, it, they, they take yeah. liberties from the old man Logan storyline, which I truly, truly love. And, and, you know, bless Mark Miller for for writing that story when he did because it's just fantastic but yeah, it's incredible you know yeah hugh jackman is wolverine uh who gives a shit about his height guess what i'm pretty sure most of the superheroes don't tailor themselves exactly sure steve rogers and, and chris evans maybe weren't the same height didn't have the same eye color you got allowance you know got to have allowances for fuck's sake you know don't don't be stupid that's it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I can deal with anything in terms of looks. It's, it's character motivation that gets me when yes. you make a character something that they shouldn't be. Like you know, I've always argued the MCU have developed a habit now of making everyone quippy and funny. Mm. All of their male leads have to be quippy, funny characters. Well, I don't understand Thor as a quippy character. I've not read comic books where Thor is a quippy, amusing one-liner machine. That's not how I understand him. He is yeah, humorous, not, very humorous. But again, but, I, I, I can't think back to the storyline where that happens because it's all big uh, Greek yeah. myth, Norse myth stuff that they're going it's, on with. See, it's I always mean, above. It's always a higher tier of a higher plane of story that they're telling. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is like, obviously, I've probably read a considerable amount more. Uh, oh, yeah, I, of, I'm not denying of, of, of I'm not la- la- Latest Marvel product. And that's the thing. In the, in the more later Marvel product, whether that's a reflection of the changes that they made on the screen, he is a little bit more um, humorous. But Could that be. said, he is also now within a number of storylines, perhaps the most serious that he's ever been his entire, you know, uh, career, uh, sorry, lifetime as Thor. He He is mm-hmm. now king thor uh in charge of asgard and you know in a recent storyline he just took down galactus like ah. full-on took down galactus and there's now taken galactus's head and he's using that at the bridge of the bifrost as a warning to everybody else like i took down galactus don't fuck take with you me. Down two bitches. <laughs> and so he's very serious at the moment because he's seen possible ramifications of uh of, of what the future might hold he's full-on serious now but yeah, in the Avengers books and stuff like that, he's he's got a bit more humor to him because he's got other people around him. So mm. uh, again, but you know, you're absolutely right. It could be a movie movie playing back into the comics because we've seen that God knows how many times. I mean, uh, again, I think back to the Nolan stuff at the height of the time I was I was reading comics. You know, suddenly Joker after the Dark Knight, Joker's whenever the the artists were drawing Joker, he he had he was going more towards the going away from the Jack Nicholson look and into the Heath Ledger look suddenly um two-face suddenly was very accurate towards what aaron eckhart looked like as two-face in in nolan's film so we have seen that before numerous times in numerous ways and again the mcu have done it god knows how many times and pulled things back from the 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 movies that works and then pulled them back into the comic because that might make the comic sell more then um so that's interesting but um Apologies, guys. This is about Spider-Man, but yeah, we go on tangents when we talk about comic books. Is, We're always exactly. going to go on a tangent. Fortunately, we are comic book geeks, so we are <laughs> always going to be drawing comparisons and pulling things out from other stuff. So uh, just stay with us on that. But yeah, JJ, I adore, and obviously I pick out particular sequences when when we get to them. Um, 
later on. It's um, I, I think everyone in the in the JJ sequences as well deserves credit because it's the quick fire, witty that they're, they're snapping into each other's lines and JJ's. Your wife's on the phone. She's lost the checkbook. Oh, brilliant. Thanks for the good news. And then he turns to someone else for the next thing. And then someone's over there for another snap and here and here and here. And it's just pump, 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 just keeping it going. And again, you watched um, Elizabeth Banks as Betty Brant, who I always forget that she had a bit part like that. And she's mm-hmm. now like a you know, big time producer director. Hopefully she'll do something better at some point. I do like Elizabeth Banks, but I'm sorry I didn't enjoy Ghostbusters and I didn't get on with the Charlie's Angels did she, remake. Did she direct Ghostbusters, like the female one? Oh no, that was Paul Fagey, wasn't it? Yeah, I was, was, was going to say, yeah, I'm sorry. Sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know she did Charlie's I, Angels. Uh, the Charlie's Angels one, yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, that I, I don't know. I don't know what didn't work for me there, but something just didn't quite click. Maybe it's Kirsten Stewart's resting bitch face, but I is don't it know. Kirsten or Kristen? I don't. Oh fuck! Have I said her name wrong as well? Kristen. Oh, I, I don't, don't fucking know. know. I don't. Know. I don't know. She won't want to talk uh, to me anyway. I've just said she got resting bitch face, so I don't think it matters. Um, it's not. But yeah, she's inaccurate. But... Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> Elizabeth Banks is sort of always she's into the office trying to get his attention. Then he he fobs her off, so she's back out again. And then she's and then she's ringing through the door. And but the you know she's getting that frantic nature across it, and it, it mm. feels like a frantic environment where you've got to. Ah, ah, I don't know whether I'm coming or going. And I, I again, I just love that. I think it creates a really good environment, and I think JJ is the centerpiece of that. Um. Here's an interesting thing when we get going, because um, we get to the uh, so obviously in the background of, of what's going on with Spider-Man, we've got the Green Goblin getting developed and Norman Osborn, Willem Dafoe, who I I really enjoy actually as Norman Osborn. It's a bit hammy maybe when he's the, been injected, but it's always going is, to be because he, the Green is... Goblin is insane. He's manic. <laughs> He is the quintessential comic book villain. He's again, you you take a comic book type character and you put him on the screen, and you have got Willem Dafoe acting yeah. it, uh, you you uh, hamming it up. But he is the quintessential comic book villain, manic, uh, you know, all over the fucking place. Mm. Absolutely fits it down to a T. Again, yeah, the nuances and the I, subtleties I of uh, any other way. I want no. it hammy because that's what he should be like. Because, yeah. like you say, that's that's the Green Goblin we've come to know and understand. Is because, like I say, it's the gas. The gas is not ready. It gives him. It makes him insane, basically. And he goes nuts and he starts talking to himself. And uh, you know, he's got a goblin personality inside him. It essentially, you know, gives him a split personality. Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoy him at that. But there's um, so as he develops on, he takes the gas and then he he goes out for the board of directors that that kicked him out of. Oscorp, which is obviously his company, so he's upset about that. So he goes and steals all the Goblin Glider and stuff, and then goes and attacks a parade that they're having, um, which everyone is attending. Now, here's something I'd totally forgotten in the middle of that parade. Macy Gray. Do you remember mm-hmm. when Macy Gray was a thing? Yeah, way back in the late 90s, early 2000s, yeah. Well, 2002, that. apparently, yeah. Oh, there you go, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They got her in to sing the song for the parade. Mm. <laughs> and she's in there once. Uh, also in this sequence, we get our obligatory Stan Lee cameo. Yep. As he pulls someone out of the way of some uh, uh, some debris that's falling. Um, I mean, this sequence I've always really enjoyed. I've always thought it was a really good sequence, you know, with him, all the balloons and Spider-Man and him. And again, I think back to when it came out, it blew my mind how good everything looked. 
um, because of the quality suddenly that CG could go to. Um, when you look at them now, some of the closer CG stuff looks a little bit ropey, but to be honest, it's mostly the green screen. Some of the green screen stuff just stands out a little bit. And again, that's, you know, that's just the thing of the high definition age we're in now that, you know, when you, you take that film from the film, it was originally shot on and you push it up to high def, you're going to know, you know, you're giving the lighting more detail. You're giving the lighting more depth. Therefore you're going to notice the difference in the lighting on the set versus the lighting on the background and the fact that they don't quite match up right. And that gives you the uncanny Valley effect where you're then going, something's not quite right with this scene and I'm, I can't figure out what, and that's, what I noticed it is, is it just the green screen pops a little bit more. But again, as we're going back and watching this old stuff, you tend to see it a lot. So I don't, I don't like to criticize films for that because, you know, unless it's, unless you should have been doing a better job at that day and age, like, I don't know, some of the shit like uh, Starship Troopers three, for example, you know, they should, that CG was far better uh, at the point when they made that film. There's no way it should have looked that shit unless you just didn't give a crap or didn't have the money. Um, so I think this, you know, I, I still like it. It doesn't pull me out of it or anything. Um, <laughs> so obviously after the rescue and stuff, we get the, the, the rain sequence. Um, so that we get the uh, yeah, so we get the kiss, the infamous upside downy Spider Manny Mary Janey kiss. I tell you what, man, at the time I was absolutely in fucking love with Kirsten Dunst. I loved that chick. I was obsessed with her at the time. Oh, I was a, I was indifferent. Out. I was indifferent. I know, I know, and I know I'm in the minority. I know not a lot of people are fond of her, but for, I don't know why. I just I I really liked Kirsten Dunst at the time. Totally had a crush on her. So I always just wanted to be Spider-Man at that moment. Um, the There's a sequence uh, where the Green Goblin has set Spider-Man up to try and kill him. So he's set up a burning building. And uh, he goes in, I think he goes in and rescues one person. And then there's someone else still in there screaming. The The sequence as he's walking in is is as he's going through this burning building and the woman is just in a cloak in front of him and he sort of sees her in flashes through the flames and she's screaming and stuff. That is such a Sam Raimi sequence. Such a Sam Raimi sequence. I absolutely fucking love it. It's so him, the way that thing is set up, the way she's he's screaming in the background. You can't quite see it. It's not the quintessential sequence for me. That comes in Spider-Man 2. That contains my favourite pure Sam Raimi sequence um, but I do really enjoy that bit and obviously it's it's the interplay between them trying to uh, you know he's, he, uh, he, he wants Spider-Man to join him it, 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 essentially that's what he's trying to do is because he, he, he yeah he, he wants him to join him to, to work together um, the after that sequence we get um, there's the Thanksgiving dinner Mm. where they're all sat around the table. I love that sequence. That sequence has so much tension because of what we know, because Spider-Man's just coming back from something and he got cut by the Green Goblin, so he's bleeding. So he's got to try and hide that cut 
And obviously, Osborne's the Green Goblin. He's at this thing, and he knows that he cut Spidey's arm. So Peter's sitting there with blood coming out of a wound on his arm that looks like a slash, and, it, and just the tension builds and builds little by little, and it's Willem Dafoe's cold menace when he he takes pinches a little bit of the, I don't know what mm-hmm. it'd be, yams. I don't know. Is that something Americans eat at Thanksgiving, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I just yams. remember the Friends episode. Stuffing. The one I about think it was yams stuffing or something like that, yeah, yeah. With Brad Pitt. But anyway, he, he picks a little bit up and, and goes to eat it, and May just slaps his wrist. And he looks at her like he's <laughs> yeah. staring fucking daggers through her. Like this lovely, yeah. lovely old lady. And he looks like he is just going to grab that knife out of her hand and slit her throat. Yeah. It is fucking brilliant. And he does nothing other than look at her. That's what I'm getting. Smiles. getting. Just it's, smiles. It's all in his face. And again, that's what another reason I love Willem Dafoe in this. Because he's got that range to be... One second the 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 nice father figure, and then the next second just completely flip and be this this complete psycho. So obviously, as we work through the film, we get towards the end, and um, we end up with a sequence because Osborne finds out that that Peter is Spider Man. He then uh, goes after MJ, obviously, um, and ends up with uh the the choice as it were which um always reminds me of um batman forever where batman gets a choice at the end because robin's in one cage and can't even think who's in the other cage there's two people in a cage yes that's right um vicky vale i think is she playing vicky vale in that one couldn't tell you been so long since i'd have seen that. yeah i know because part of me I, i I always liked Batman Forever. And then over the years, you just hear all the vitriol towards it. And I haven't yeah. gone back and watched it since to see yeah. whether it's pure nostalgia yeah. or whether it was just something that, that worked for me at the time. I just don't know. Tommy um, Lee Jones and Jim Carrey together, you think, and it looks like that, that you know, that they have fun and they get along. You don't realize they literally hate each other throughout the entire film. Yeah, yeah, I didn't, film I didn't they want, know that. Again, Tommy Lee Jones wanted to stab him. Fucking hell, it changes the perspective of a film yeah, when you absolutely. learn these things, totally. And something that always amazes me is that uh, Two-Face has two girls with him, and they're called Sugar and Spice. One of them is played by an actress called Debbie Mazar, who I know from yep. various films, including Entourage. one called Space Truckers. And also um, Entourage. Yes, yeah, that's where I ended up seeing her again, and because uh, Space Truckers was the first place I saw. Yes, that's a particularly bad film, starring Dennis Hopper, Debbie Mazar. Oh, I can't remember the third main cast member, but it's a piece of shit. Um, I, I that was a bad video rental in like 1998 or something. Um, but the other one is Drew Barrymore. Yes, yeah, who yeah. knew in like yeah. 1998 when I thought she was, I thought she was known at that point, and she's just this little bit part who barely says a line. Well, she was a child it's actor weird. who slowly but surely kind of made it bigger and bigger. So you know, she yeah. Mm. Well, I know her her first sort of famous thing was Poison Ivy, I think, uh, that, that was a, a film, a sort of erotic thriller that she did in the mid-90s, I think. That was the first thing that pushed her into prominence, and then it went from there, I think. Um, but yeah, we end up with this final choice of him holding a a cable car, or... Yeah, I think it's a cable car he's got. Yeah, it's a cable car, yeah. A lot of people. And MJ in the other hand, and he's going to drop them both. And Spidey can only save one. It's the classic choice. So he drops them, obviously. Um, 
I like that, but I always wonder why they do it. Because it's like you you know you're going to save both. It's like with the well, Batman one. I know damn well he's going to save both people. Yeah, I mean, because he's, that's uh... what it is. Now, I believe if we go to sort of because I, I if I'm remembering this right, isn't that what happens to Gwen Stacy? Isn't that the thing? Is yeah. that he uh, got... him a choice? Here's a monorail. Here's no, Gwen he doesn't Stacey. give him a choice. There's no choice. He just drops he, her. So it's, he it, just it is drops like her. it is in the second amazing yeah. Spider-Man. Film. Yeah, yeah, he drops her, and and so yeah, Spider Man goes to 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 try and rescue her, but obviously she's falling at a greater distance and a greater speed than he's able to counter, and as a result, yeah, webbing her actually kills her. She would have died anyway, granted, right, neck, but it? It basically, mm. yeah, and it's one of the things which even to this day in 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 the comic book, Spider Man still holds himself accountable for. He doesn't like mm. the fact the innocent lives are lost. It's it's not the first person that loses their life, but it's the first huge ramification because that at the time was his his love interest. That that's you know, MJ wasn't on the scene at this point. It was Gwen Stacy. So yeah, yeah it changes fundamentally the dynamics for that. Then they then they did a storyline, oh God, this was so very controversial a few years back. And uh, it was basically that Gwen Stacy and Norman Osborne had an illicit affair. And yeah, uh, two that. children spawned as a result because it, they were part goblin children. Uh, yeah. So they developed at an accelerated rate. Oh, God, the, the, the backlash against that was fucking massive because they were like, you can't kill Gwen Stacy and then suddenly go, well, actually had an illicit affair. You've just yeah. shat all over the memory of not, that character. Not only was so. she having an illicit affair, she was having an illicit affair with an older man who was yeah. clearly, who she knew was a fucking supervillain yeah. who was potentially a part goblin as well because his children came out part goblin because that's more of the ultimate green goblin than it is normal universe green goblin isn't it he's more of a goblin goblin looking thing yeah he literally is a goblin normal universe he's osborne in a suit and he's Mm. nuts and he's got Mm. the super strength and all that stuff yeah didn't make a lot of sense um but yeah, I, so you know, I always wonder why they do that thing because I always think it's 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 a bit uh, it's a bit obvious. Um, the and obviously we then end up with the uh, Green Goblin's death. So he, well, Spider Man doesn't kill him, although Spider Man ends up saying he's killed him. To yeah, he sort of takes the blame for it, doesn't he? But he doesn't kill him. He just jumps out of the way when he tries. When Goblin's trying to kill him, and Goblin gets impaled by his own flying, uh, by his own glider. Um, brutal as fuck. It's a brutal death for him. Um, but you know, it 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 works. I like it. You then get the sequence where uh, Spider-Man takes his body back to Osborne Tower. I don't know what else to call it. Um, and puts him down and obviously Harry sees and is like, what the hell have you done to my dad? You've killed him, rah, rah, rah. So this starts our Harry arc. I, I like how we've gone through this entire thing and not mentioned James Franco once because he's fucking atrocious. In all I, three films, he's fucking atrocious. I gotta be honest, I was... I was that was that was a summation point at the end, yeah. Yeah, thank I, you. I, just It was just, just for the audience at home. Um, yeah, no, you, you're, yeah, you're Franco, right. I, Franco sucks. Yeah, I've I've got a bit on that. Don't, um, don't get me wrong; I'm still not a fan of Tobey Maguire for a number of reasons. But we're talking about Spider Man, so I have to kind of hold my hold my tongue on that one. Well, yeah, and okay, uh, we, I think the I think third we've, one, in which case, I'll tear him a new one. 
Yeah. I think the third one, uh, sorry, uh, I think the thing as well with Toby Maguire is I appreciate him more having seen Andrew Garfield. It makes sure it, after seeing the Andrew Garfield stuff. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think Tom Holland is quintessential Spider-Man now. He, I, I've, I can't think of any actor who's done it better over the years. Um, I always said the 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 five minute, ten minute sequence he's in in Civil War, which was his first appearance in the MCU. That was more Spider-Man than I'd seen in most of the Spider-Man films that had been released up to that point. And that was one 10, 15 minute sequence. So it just shows if you've got the right people there who know the character, know what they're going to do with it and have the right actor in the ma in the suit, you can pull it off perfectly. Um, but yeah, so that starts Harry's arc and Harry's arc obviously goes through the second film and then is uh, brought to a conclusion in the third. The I always wish because then we. I always feel like the film should have ended there. I always wanted it to sort of end there, but we get the the funeral bit and then him and uh, Spidey and MJ talking to each other and he's like, no, I can't be with you. And he walks away. Part of me always wished they just, he'd just told her there because I don't know how much you, I don't know how much legs the the whole, I can't tell her who I am. Oh, you're hiding something from me. I can tell. That only has so much legs for me. Mm. Um, it was like the... Oh, Christ. Here you go. Here's a reference I haven't gone to in a while. It's like Smallville. I'm watching season after season after season going, Lana! Lana! He's Superman! He's got superpowers! That's why he does all this stuff and keeps mm. running away! Just fucking tell her! Because I'm sick of watching yet another episode based around Lana getting pissed off with him because he's hiding something from her. Mm-hmm. It just... Uh, it, I don't mind yeah. it a few times, but the more you keep doing it, it's diminishing returns then, because I just want you to bring it to a resolution so that the narrative goes in a different direction. Yeah, I like the fact that we've got... Uh, is it Zendaya? Is that how you pronounce it? Zendaya, yeah. Uh, Zendaya. Yeah, and, within... uh, and, and, and she's she's great. She's, her portrayal of M- MJ is so different... To, yeah. to Kristen Kirk from Bones. I like it um, because it. she's not a damsel in distress kind of a character. Literally, the whole like the the whole of the first one, she's just this uh, wishy washy, moany fucking person. She gets worse in the second one. By the third one, I just it's one of the probably reasons I don't like uh, you know Kirsten Kristen Dunst because she's such a whingy little bitch. By the third one, she's a complete and utter damsel in distress, especially in the it, it, more so in the second one. And it's it just gets a bit boring, a bit pathetic. It's like, come on, you you, you know, you, you're a bit you're a bit of a shambles. Whereas now the portrayal is actually she's pretty intelligent. Uh, in intelligence, sorry, she she'll give Peter Parker a run for his money. Uh, you know, in in terms of intelligence yeah. in general, but also just the fact that she's got. Uh, and I hate to use this word because it, it it's a horrible word, but she's got spunk. Uh, is is the you know. Yes. Is the best thing yeah, to describe her as in there. Moxie, Moxie, yes, Moxie. But yeah, you're absolutely right. A couple yeah, of nineteen you... twenties. <laughs> She's got You've some got Moxie. See, <laughs> get that Moxie. Um. Anyway, <laughs> sorry about that, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> oh, I've tickled myself there. Not literally. Um. The. <laughs> yeah, I agree, and it, 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 that's an interesting point. Actually, I hadn't thought about modern MJ. 
uh, Zendaya MJ, if you like, compared back to that MJ? Because again, can you see Zendaya MJ being a Broadway actress or a billboard model? No, that's not what she's going to do, is it? Um, and it's, it's interesting that, that they've gone that way and they've gotten away with it. And again, I like it with with them. I give them, she doesn't, you know, the, the narrative of Homecoming, for example, isn't based around MJ and him going, oh, I need to tell you something. Oh, you're hiding something from me. Oh, I need to tell because they're separated. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not even sort of friends, you know? It's only far from home when he's like, okay, now I want to. And then we get the storyline. Yes, a lot of the plot is him and MJ and him trying to get the perfect moment with MJ. And she's just like, and by the end of that film, we've resolved it. Exactly. (laughs) We've resolved it. He's Spider Man. (laughs) She knows. She's okay with it. Bang. Great. Let's crack on. Because you've given me 45 minutes, 50 minutes, however long it is through that film before she works out of that storyline. There's your return. You've invested me in her finding out. You've resolved it before the end of the movie. Don't drag it on for three films. Don't drag it on for seven or eight fucking seasons. And it's like um, she she starts dating uh, John Jonah Jameson, uh, JJ's son, in in the second one. And she's like, and and then she she kisses him upside down. He's massively disappointed because it's not Spider-Man. And you're like, love? What the fuck are you doing? You're in a loving, committed relationship, and all you're thinking about is some other dude. What the fuck are you doing with him in the first place? Like, it, it's an actual slap in the face to that guy. It's like, what the fuck? Um, but yeah. again, that's, you know, that's just a diatribe. No, no, I totally agree. I totally agree. As I say, there is a bit in Spider-Man 2 that I think makes that, uh, in the extended version of 2.1, that does make that a little bit clearer. But yeah, I, uh, <sighs> yeah, it's difficult. Anyway, so that's how we leave the film is, hey, this is going to happen. That's going to happen. And we're going to get through. Um, Oh, here's another thing I was going to bring up, actually. Sorry, is um, Homecoming. Spider-Man Homecoming. Again, Aunt May. By the end of the first film, we've wrapped up Aunt May knowing about him. Perfect, again, because then I don't have to deal with the... Oh, are you okay? Oh, that kid, there's something wrong with him, but I don't know what it is. Oh, like, I get it. Again, it's dramatic irony. I get it. We, the audience, know something that they, the characters, don't. I understand. However, it is something that gives diminishing returns. Homecoming, what happens? We've gone all the way through the film. They realise that they haven't tied that thread up, and actually we don't want that dangling when we start the next film. So she opens the door at the end, sees him, goes, Peter! That's it. Bang, done, finished. Scene ends, film ends. We don't talk any more about it because all we need is to her to walk into that and see it. And then we know what happens afterwards. We don't need to see the aftermath because pretty, we know what happens. Pretty, pretty sure she says, what the... And then it cuts. Yes, just, that's it. And just, it cuts on the F, yeah. doesn't it? Um, it is a very funny little sequence that you it see. Is totally. But again, and I'm really they, pleased um... they put that in because then when I came to Far From Home, I'm not sitting there going... Oh, I wonder whether Aunt May's going to find out this time. Or how are they going to keep Aunt May from finding out? They went more down the uh, Ultimate Spider-Man route in this respect. Because, yes, Aunt May, within the Ultimate Spider-Man universe, finds this out and ends up, you know, it ends up being kind of a home for 
uh, wayward uh, teens and, uh, and and teens with powers. Like Iceman ends up there. Uh, Johnny Storm ends up living there at one point. It's a really cool little storyline that, that they have going through on the Spider-Man. In the main, yes, he very much keeps it uh, hidden from Aunt May for, for a number of understandable reasons. But again, you need to update things to reflect these changes. You're going to cast Marissa Tomei in that role. Well, guess what? She's not the b- b- bumbling kind of old lady that the, the Aunt May from the, the, the Raimi's one is. She's a little bit more tuned in. Uh, you know, she's met Tony Stark. You know, she, she's got some nonce to her. And it makes so much more sense moving forward. The dynamic for their family. Sorry, I think you meant nuance, not nonce. Yeah, that's what I meant. Um, she hasn't got some nonce to her. She definitely nuance. hasn't got any nonce about her. Yeah, um, we're, we're not suddenly going to go brass eye, just just so you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I haven't watched that in so long. Yeah, um, and that's the thing. It's it's understandable that they make these subtle changes. Again, I don't want to go through another film where we've got oh, are you Spider Man? Oh, I've got to try and hide it. I'll f- just just fuck off. It makes more entertaining. Uh, storytelling when she does know and she's trying to encourage him and stuff and it's like he turns up to the okay we're actually suddenly talking about let's go back we're talking about the Raimi ones not the not the other ones go back <laughs> we can talk we can do an episode on the other ones at some point we shall well. at not, some I, point I'm I sure, refuse yeah. to do one on the amazing Spider-Man ones that's yeah no sure. that's understandable I would go, I mean we're gonna have to tackle some of the MCU at some point because we are huge fans of it so we we do need to start that at some point I think and decide how we would divide it up and go through it all. Or maybe we just do a, a top five of the MCU or something, although I think a top five would be so hard. I, d- I can't do a top three, so, <laughs> but I could probably do a top five, maybe. Oh, dear. So, yes, last thing then. Um, Obviously, this covers throughout all the films, as you say, but yes, James Franco. <sighs> I remembered him not being good because it's the reason why nowadays I don't think he's a very good actor and I'm still not convinced he's a very good actor even in the modern day. I'm not convinced but, he's a very good person in the modern day but again that's well, an aside really. quite that's an entirely different kettle of fish isn't it? Um I but it's not even like like cuz I think of people like Seth Rogen for example. I find Seth Rogen one note I, I, he tends to play the slacker, stoner, you know, fat bloke, geek type, right? No matter what he's doing. Um, he always seems to sit back into that. I mean, for fuck's sake, even in, you know, he ended up writing a film just so he could be a pothead in the film that was based around pot in Pineapple Express. And I felt for years that James Franco was just one of those sort of actors that he's just, that's what he plays. That's how he plays it. And he's just like that. Actually, I just don't think he's very good mm-hmm. watching this. I just don't, he, he's not acting sometimes. He's not like, cause at least with Seth Rogen, he's playing himself. So I, it feels natural. You know, at least the character feels like something he's, he can do and he can achieve. Whereas, <laughs> With Franco, I'm just constantly sitting there going, what emotion are you trying to convey? Like, are, you, <laughs> yeah. are you happy or sad? Because I'd be really pissed off if I just yeah. had that news. But your face sort of looks, meh, I don't really know what to do. Ah, oh, dear, he's not very good. He, mm. I think over the years, I must have just blanked out 
his parts in well no maybe that's why spider-man 2 works because he's only in it in bits and pieces because he's just the man backing otto so you just get to see him in bits and pieces and he's shit because he's always really pissed off and got tears in his eyes and yeah you killed my dad spider-man i'm gonna kill spider-man in fact i've got a quote somewhere that's one of my favorite shit quotes that he does during the film but we'll we'll get there so spider-man uh sorry any any last thoughts on spider-man one from yourself oh like you say i mean it uh you know it 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 kick-started the upward trend of of comic book films we'd already had x-men we'd already had blade by this point yeah but it was it was the continuation of that they went more down the comic book route in terms of being able to see Spider-Man spinning around the city and things like that. I have my issues with X-Men and we'll get to the X-Men franchise at some point and I will... Yeah, it's only just occurred um, to me because, again, number two was fantastic. Yes. One of my favourite superhero films for a long time. Again. First one is a great opener, but again, it's like yeah. uh, I can see the budget is restrained at that point and they give it in two and then by three, we're just on a downward trajectory until we hit Logan, basically, and then that peaks for once and then we're back down to, to, to kind of square one again um but this was the one that we knew was going to start putting superhero films on the map it was like the biggest box office film for however many years and things like that it, you know they, they joke about it in entourage and stuff like that they want aquaman to beat the spider and it, it's a common joke that, that they yeah, made absolutely. because it was, it was, such it was a, big a film. thing at the time wasn't it yeah you like you say it was one of the highest grossing movies of all time at the at the time at the time, but now you look back at it and reflect upon it compared to the the later iterations and the later's, it's it's mediocre at best. Mm. But that's the first one. Still great performances from Willem Dafoe. Uh, you know he hams it up like a an absolute true genius. J.K. Uh, Simmons is 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 fantastic as J. Jonah Jameson. The rest of the cast are forgettable. That's that's the distinction. There is Aunt I'd argue, uh, aren't me? I like. Aunt I've May. got, no, but again, in in terms of the main cast, I wouldn't. Yeah, okay. Fair enough, May, fair enough, but yeah, your 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 Peter Parker's, your MJ's, and uh, your Harry's, they're all forgettable fucking actors. They're all they're all just terrible, in my humble opinion. Again, That's as we enough. always say, this is a subjective uh, thing. My opinion isn't always necessarily your opinion, or everybody's at home. So, no, like I say, I don't I don't dislike Tobey Maguire in the role as much as you do. I don't think, um, but. I, I like to say I only I, I don't know whether that's yeah, I don't know why yeah I just I, I don't think he was all that bad for the version they were going for I think that's the key now that I've seen what the MCU were going to do with the character hmm. then yeah Tobey Maguire looks worse than he ever did because the way they're taking the character and the way Holland is portraying him is fantastic and is is pretty much bang on perfect for, for my personal taste yeah, and I'm sure my opinion of him and in, in his performances is probably coloured by the way that he treated people uh, in real life. And he was just a cunt. Uh, sorry, he was a bastard. You'll have to edit that out. Um, he was an absolute bastard. In real life, he's an absolute bastard. And that's one of the things that I'll probably hold against him for. Cause, uh, and again, why do you not see him in many films anymore? There's a good reason for that. Hey, he's not as talented as everybody thought he was. And he's also a bastard that nobody wants to work with. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Okay, so yes. Spider-Man 2, then. Um, As I say, I watched the 
uh, 2.1 version as it's known in the UK. I believe in America it's known as the extended version. I will point out the extras and why I like them as we go through the film. Obviously, with this one, we start with an incredible credit sequence that's still to this day one of my favourites just because I adore Alex Ross. So we get the uh, the Alex Ross previously slash recap artwork package uh, in the credits at the beginning. Uh, for those that don't know, Alex Ross is a comic book writer who is famous for drawing um, photorealistic artwork or, you know, incredibly photorealistic artwork. Um, and I've always adored that opening sequence. Tell you something that occurred to me as well as the credits were going on. The Spider-Man theme was playing over the top and part of me was sitting there going, this is reminding me of something. It's reminding me of another superhero film. And I realised it was Batman. And Batman Returns, the 89 Batman. And you know why that is? Because Danny Elfman did the music for both. Oh. If you listen to the theme for Batman and the theme for Spider-Man, they're very similar. Mm. They Like the, the tones that use, not necessarily the tune or the melody, but the, 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 you know, the instruments that have been used are the same. The way the music rises and falls is very, very similar songs. And it's something I have never noticed until this time through. Mm. So, in this one, like I say, main main part of the thread is going to be Spidey and MJ and him wanting to get... Well, no, he doesn't want to get with her because he can't, but he kind of does want to get with her, but he won't let himself get with her, so he's just sort of fucking around with her, really, and playing about. I don't like the character in this one uh, to a degree when it comes to the MJ story. I don't think he's doing the right thing. If he's not going to stop being spider-man to try and you know get with her then he should just be leaving her the fuck alone and obviously he has been because some period time has passed between the two films but he's he then starts messing about again because he runs into her and i just think he's been a bit of a dick <laughs> i just think he should fucking leave her alone um i like the um uh, this is where we start to see Raimi. Raimi was was doing what we now take for granted in the MCU and things like that. Foreshadowing, setting things up, getting people into positions, into character roles that you're then going to pay off later down the film. So we get introduced to, um, he's mentioned once in the Spider-Man 1, but we actually get to meet him this time. Uh, and that's Dylan Baker playing Dr. Kurt Connors, who, mm. of course, if you know your comics, becomes uh, the Lizard as a villain in the end now again i believe i don't think he was planning it for three because i know for three he wanted to put uh vulture in but i probably by four he was going to pay off because that was the plan originally the fourth one was supposed to release in 2011 but it never happened because of creative differences so they then started again and we got the amazing spider-man in 2012 but yeah he was you know that was supposed to be paid off somewhere later on down the road so he got this the actor in and he could put the character in place and you know peter knew him and they were working together and blah 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 so i love that that you know that is like I say something that we almost take for granted now with what the mcu have done and making sure that they've signed up their people for enough films so that they can appear throughout everything uh you know and give a good flow to the uh to the piece i i love alfred molina anyway but mm. I fucking adore him in this film, and it's the the opening, the opening sequence we get with him uh, where Peter first meets him, uh, describes him as brilliant but lazy, I believe, 
um, and they're sat having dinner at the table with his wife, mm. and it's such it's a wonderful a, scene. Wonderful it's scene. A great scene, isn't it? Yeah. And and it feels organic. Yes, and it's totally necessary as well because this is why this is part of the reason why I think this film is so good is the villain because he is relatable, he's understandable in because in the same way that Norman was twisted by the potion, you didn't have quite as much sympathy for him because it was his own ego and arrogance that drove him to take the potion, knowing full well what could happen to him. Doc Ock is a victim of circumstance. He is trying to do good for the world and the inhibitor chip breaks, so he has no control over the arms anymore. And they start being the little voice in his head. He's done nothing actively to make... He's made no choices that have made this occur. It's just happened. And that means when you get this initial sequence where you can see he's a loving father, you know, he's a loving uh, husband... You know, you get, you you you're compa- you have compassion towards him. You have empathy. You, you know, you're sympathetic towards his plight, and, and and you like him as a person. And the thing is, is that as as you know, be it a villain or, or, or people in in any respect, when tragedy befalls, which is obviously what occurs, and and the experiment goes wrong, and he loses his wife as a result. Now he may blame Spider-Man to some degree because he's trying to put the blame on somebody else, but that's it. He's he's no longer in control of himself because a great tragedy has befallen him. And the, the, the worst that people ever get is when a tragedy occurs, they go to the deepest, darkest recesses. And guess what? At that point, there's some AI, you know, arms and legs on his back that are going to start imparting some of what they think and what they think should occur onto him. He He now is no longer the same person that we sat at that meal and heard and, and, and had conversations with. He's not that person anymore. He's gone. His wife is gone. He's turned to the dark side, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And, and yeah, that sequence is necessary for you to, because you, you understand his humanity. You know, you realize he's it, it, essentially, it makes him not a two-dimensional boring villain. There's the whole bit with Spider-Man trying to go to the theatre to catch the play. I mention this because uh, I love the car chase because uh, he's he's on his way there and then there's um, a robbery or something. So he gets involved to try and stop that. Um, and I love that sequence. I think it's very cool. Um, he gets to the theatre and we get our Bruce Campbell cameo for this one, which is uh, I've just looked at the credits actually on IMDb. He's listed as Snooty Usher. At the theatre, which works. He is the snooty usher. Um, I love him in that sequence. I think he's really funny. The lift sequence, uh, where he goes through the little period, because again, this, I, I, like, I don't know how the original comic storyline went for this, because I know the storyline they were going for is the Spider-Man No More storyline, where the infamous front cover was the Spidey suit mm-hmm. sort of hanging out the top of the the trash bin. Um, in the street and obviously they he does that iconic image with him walking into the distance as we have the the bin in the foreground if his because obviously the way they get it across in this is that you know suddenly his web shooters stop shooting and he can't cling to the walls anymore and so it's his psychological uh decision that he's struggling with over whether he is a normal kid who gets to date Mary Jane or whether he's Spider-Man. It's the power and responsibility thing, which again is the core thread for his character through this is I don't, I didn't ask for the power. I don't want the power. 
I don't want the responsibility because I want to do my thing. I want to do what I want to do. But learning that, yeah, you may not have asked for the power, but you've got it and you can do something and therefore you should. Um, so I, I, I really like that thread that runs through it. But there's a bit where he loses his powers and he ends up having to use a, a lift to uh, go down a building. So he's in a lift dressed fully as Spider-Man. And uh, a kid gets into the lift who is... Hang on, I've looked him up here somewhere because he's got the same name as my son. His name is Hal Sparks, which is a great name. But yes, Hal Sparks gets into the lift and they have a little joke. Now, I mentioned this sequence because actually in 2.1 or the extended version, you get a longer sequence of them in the lift. And the stuff that happens is way funnier than in the theatrical cut. Because uh, this guy is, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm from a marketing company. We're just on the third floor down there. Do you mind if I, like, I love this whole thing. You've got a great look. You're blah, blah, blah. You know, the get-up's great. It's like, can I can I just, you know, spitball some ideas at you and stuff over what we could do? You know, some, uh, we could do this. We could do that. And my favorite one is he goes, uh, thwip the cologne. Like, that that would work. I, I just, I, I love that joke. Clearly you don't. But, you know. You, you've got a bit, you've got in the context of watching it, it's different to you just trying to relay that. Joke. I, you didn't exactly um, deliver it with grace, there, did you? Come on. No, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, as I've mentioned, the character arc in this one for me works the most because uh, it's got the most depth to it. Um, the villain is a deep villain. Spidey's story has some depth to it, has some intrigue to it. There's the whole thing about him also carrying the guilt over what still dealing with the guilt over blaming himself for uncle ben's death which you know is arguably not necessarily his fault but yes he could have done more i don't know you know there's a there's a thing to be said there um the fusion generator sequence where we first see that and the arms i think still looks incredible now i don't know how they did the arms like that i think they were all cg but fuck they still look so good you you can't you know the lighting's right in pretty much every scene they just look great um <coughs> there's a song uh by a band called freestylers that actually samples parts from the fusion sequence um and it, it begins with the beams hitting and it goes and then he says, uh, ladies and gentlemen, fasten your seatbelts. I think mm. the song's actually called Fasten Your Seatbelts by the Freestylers. Uh, there you go. Go and look that up. It's a good song. Yeah, that, I'm sure that that That's opening bit there was used in so many commercials and things like that. Like I think so. Sky movies and stuff like that. And he was like, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm sure. Because it's the way it, those yeah. beams hit. It, it's quite a nice little starting thing, isn't it, for, to, yeah. to use it. Um Oh, and here's my Batman reference as well. Mention the Batman music vibes in the in the mu- in the fusion sequence, and check whether Danny Elfman did the music. Well, I have, and he did, so that's why. Um, little shout out to uh, Daniel Day Kim, uh, who is uh, the technician who's helping Otto. Uh, if you were unlucky enough to stick with Lost all the way through, you'd know him as Jin. Jin, thank you. I was about to say Yin, and I was like, no, that's not right. Um, and at the minute, I know him as... Shit, what's his... What's her dad's name? Asami's dad in Korra. Uh... He's the voice of Asami's dad in Legend of uh... It begins with a H. 
No, no, it's gone. It'll come back to me. No, I can ladies and gentlemen, for, for, for those audio listeners, uh, I can't see what's happening. Fluffy is, is having an aneurysm, I think, trying to think of the guy's name. Um, I better look it up before his head actually explodes on camera. Um, <sighs> but yeah. Sato. So, His, Hisako Sato? Hiroku Sato? Or Hiromu? Or Hiromi? I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's something like that. Yeah, he's Sato anyway. Um, there's another beautiful Raimi shot that I just want to mention in the fusion sequence where the glass smashes uh, and is heading towards his wife, as you say. That's the, the terrible moment where, again, through no fault of his own necessarily, the experiment's gone wrong, not because of anything he did wrong, just because it's gone wrong. Um, and the glass in his apartment smashes and heads towards his, his wife and uh, kills her. Um, but there, that is a classic Raimi shot again, because there's a bit as the glass is turning over and heading towards her that you see her horrified face reflected in the glass as it's flying towards her. That's pure Sam Raimi there. And then we get my favourite Sam Raimi sequence in any of these three films. The bit where Doc is in the surgery room and they are trying to detach the arms from him. That could have come straight out of Evil Dead. Mm. It is fucking brilliant. If if you, like me, are a fan of the Sam Raimi horror stuff where he goes nuts with it, it is frantic. It is insane. It's harsh. It's crunchy. It's It's mean. It's nasty. And it's got... But then it's also got... The little bit of humour, I mean, again, by the time you get to Army of Darkness, we're sort of more humour, less horror. But certainly sort of, maybe Evil Dead 2, I felt, was sort of the balance in the middle of... Because like, Evil Dead more tried to be a straight horror. The second one was a little bit of both. And the third one more went towards the comedy. But th- th- there's a bit in that sequence when all the horror's going on. The, the uh, One of the claws has uh, Doctor pinned up against the wall. And you're looking at the doctor and then the camera pans down to show there's a chainsaw next to the doctor on the side. And the doctor looks at the chainsaw and looks back at the thing and grabs it and just starts going. Uh, and obviously it's not doing anything because the metal's too strong for the arms and stuff because it's got to survive in the fusion. But it, it, it's just such a ramey thing to just have that quick glance of, I can use that. Huh. Eh, no, it's not working. Ah, And I'm still going to die anyway. I love that sequence. I could spend days talking about that sequence and how much I adore it. I won't, but I could. Yeah, it's uh, like you say, the, the the best way that you said there was the crunch, because it is those sounds where like you hear the, and like somebody being slid across the room, you hear the scream. Yeah, and, and the then fingernails the squelch, as she's going. Uh, and then the yeah. squelch is uh, uh, clearly her head has been crushed and stuff yeah. like that. Those little nuances were, yeah, very, very apt for, for that. Because again, it's, yeah, you, you don't know where the attack's coming from, even though there's only four places the attack can be coming from, because there's four arms. And it's, but yeah, just, oh God, I love that scene. Um, have I mentioned how much I love J. Jonah Jameson in the Spider-Man films? I'm not sure I have yet. But again, it's the sequence where they're trying to come up with the name for Doc Ock. I love that sequence. Because again, it's just so funny. It's so pithy. It's so well played. He's like, oh God, a mad scientist called Otto Octavius ends up with eight arms. You can't write it better than that. And then his little, his peon is like, oh, let's call him Doc Ock. Nah, it's rubbish. 
Doctor this. No, nah, it's rubbish. Doctor Strange? No, nah, it's good. It's taken. And again, it's like, oh, oh, we were putting in some some deeper universe in here, were we? That's mm-hmm. weird. So it like in some ways, this I feel like this was sort of the blueprint that Marvel ended up going with, you know? That like some of the things that Raimi did in these films and tried to position chess pieces in the right place. Marvel kind of went, yeah, he was kind of onto something there. Let's do that. Yeah, we had. I'm sure we had like uh, a building that looked like the Baxter Building at one point, and another building that was supposed to be Stark Tower. I'm sure there was some mm. some little nuances of, uh, along those lines as well. Yeah. Now, now to be fair, if I'm going to be fair with this one, okay, we are an hour in by this sort of point. And we are now starting to get going. We've got Otto ready. We've got Spider-Man ready. So that's sort of Otto's origin. However, my argument would be that the first hour of this one interests me more because we're further developing characters and we're we're getting to know the new ones that we need to know. I, uh, Whereas the first one, I'm not interested in the first hour because, as we've said, I know the Spider-Man origin story too well. I don't need it retold to me. Um. So yes, I'm I'm aware that this one also takes some time to get going, but that's the reason why it doesn't bother me as much. Um, when we get to the bank heist sequence where Otto goes because he decides he's going to rebuild the machine and try again with just bigger, um, and they go to the uh, Spider-Man and well, Peter Parker and Aunt May are in the bank trying to get a loan, uh, because they've got no money. Um, I never noticed until this time that the bank teller they're talking to is John McHale. Is it? Yep. Didn't notice until this time. I was going to say a community fan, but unfortunately the first thing that popped into my head was Stargirl because he's he's Star Man. Uh, you know, I never knew that. Wow, that's interesting. John that McHale. very interesting. Uh, that, I don't know who that is. Right. Yeah, as you're talking about that, uh, the the bank sequence, it is fantastic for. It's an action sequence. He goes in and and he's you know, I mean, what always puzzles me, and he, he, again, this is this this is just me, you know, going real world against comic book. It always puzzles me, like these, uh, you know, these villains that go in and they nick all this money and stuff like this. Aren't those bills like numbered and stuff like that? They should have a count of all. But where do you take that money to go and buy stuff? Like, surely somebody goes, dude, you're Doc Ock. Like, you've got these big arms. You're Doc Ock. <laughs> yeah. I ain't selling shit to you. You just robbed the bank. Like, I don't understand those subtleties. But why should I? Because I'm not writing the film. Uh, it's, it's interesting. He does manage to buy quite large amounts <laughs> yeah. of the, like, um, industrial metal yeah. to build things. Yeah, and it's like, I'm pretty pretty sure that if you were delivering all these goods to this weird warehouse, you'd be like, "You look really similar to the guy that we delivered all this stuff to recently, and his stuff blew up, and his wife died." It's funny that where'd you get all the money? Yeah. Nobody what, questions what are those that. Things on your back. They're yeah, a bit weird. funny, funny that. <coughs> in this sequence, there <clears throat> again in the two point one version, there is uh, a couple of extra bits where they go inside a they go inside a room at one point and fight, and then go back out of the building again which I don't think is in the main theatrical cut. Um, but yeah, that's a great sequence. I love that bit. Um, uh, and, and again, climbing yeah. up the clock tower right. is, you know, it, that, that visual of just watching him yeah, 
scale and the, 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 the throwing stuff down yeah it. yeah that's, that's it he just starts grabbing the arm off and just fantastic. throws it down at him and yeah, fantastic but again it's uh it's alfred molina's whole um persona there it's the way that he reacts and he's like he kind of he kind of tilts his he touches his glasses or his hat or something like that and he's like he, he does a little nod and it's just all those little things that add to his character it's like i'm not just like you say a two-dimensional villain there's no, more no. to him than that, and it's just like, yeah, and that those are the cool things that uh, that it, again we we've discussed the various villains throughout all of the MCU stuff. Alpha Molina is by far one of the best villains for any of the comic book stuff that's come uh, come since then. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. I, 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 I yeah, Doc Ock is uh, fantastically written in that film and, and fantastically portrayed. Uh, here's here's my favorite fucking shitty James Franco Harry Osborn line. Uh, where they're at the party that Peter has to go to to take some pictures uh, and uh, of JJ's son who's being honoured or whatever because he's an astronaut. Hmm, foreshadowing? Um, but he he says, oh, you know, Harry, can't you leave Spider-Man? And he's like, no, Peter, never. It's every day. Until I find him, it's every day, 24-7. Oh, God. Spoken with... Like a shit line delivered of, uh, uh, fucking uh, uh, awfully. Yeah, it's oh, just bad. That was the worst thing. I, I tell you what, going through this time is is yeah. I've never really picked up. I don't think on quite how bad Harry Osborn is. And it's, it's funny that at one point he almost was Spider Man. Mm. Um. Yeah. Now JJ's son interests me because again, knowing what Raimi's doing, building the background and stuff, we know JJ's son is the one that brings back the Venom symbiote. Um. But obviously, we know that. Raimi did not want to do Venom in number three, so I don't. I, I I'm not. I'm confused as to why he was foreshadowing that. Maybe that was a plan for four again or something. I I don't know. I, interesting though. Um, now there's an extra two point one slash extended scene in here with MJ chatting to her friend about how she feels about JJ's son, and she's the her friend says to her like, "Do you love this guy?" And she says, oh, I love him very much. And the, her friend is like, that isn't the right answer. And then she goes into some big poetic, you know, sort of cliche Alex bullshit. Alex about married in this film? He should well. be the reason that your, your heart beats. He should be the first thing you think, blah, blah, blah. The answer shouldn't be, I love him very much. The point is that he's, that this adds extra context in between him proposing to her at the charity dinner thing that Peter's at and her doing the upside down kiss with JJ's son. This bit goes in the middle and it adds extra depth. It it shows that actually, because last we knew she's agreeing to marry the bloke. Then suddenly she's kissing them upside down and realizing it's shit. And like you say, why did you say yes? Then this sequence gives more meaning to her thought process and actually helps you to understand that she was having doubts and she kind of only said yes because she felt pressured to do so because of the scenario in which he proposed to her. Mm -hmm. You don't get that without this little sequence. But so it, don't we... It helped don't, the future. don't we literally get to the point where she's got a wedding dress on and then just bails on the wedding? Yeah, that's right at the end. Yeah, yeah. So she's oh, a complete. Yeah, wrong, right? So she's a complete bitch right to the end. It's like I could save this guy some real heartbreak, but fuck it. Why would I do that? What a bitch! Don't know. You know what? I'm going to defend it when we get there. <laughs> okay. Um. 
we get <laughs> we get the bit where because Peter's now decided right, I'm not going to be Spider Man anymore. Um, and we get the raindrops keep falling on my head, dancey sequence as he's running around all happy and joyous and stuff. It's like the non emo version of what happens in Spider Man Three, isn't it? Um, but yeah, I described this as yeah, it, it, what it is is Sam Raimi making a music video to raindrops keep falling on my head, basically. Um, I I actually feel like when when it finishes, I feel like they should have done what um uh I think well I seem to remember something about Mary. There's a bit where there's a sequence of uh Ben Stiller's character and oh what's the what's her brother's name Mary's brother I can't remember his name now um but he's got learning difficulties and they get on really well and there's like a montage sequence. I actually think in my head it's to raindrops keep falling on my head, but. It can't be. But anyway, they do a little pally pally montage sequence where they get on really well. And when it finishes, they actually put the credits of the song up in the bottom corner like they've made a funny little music video Mm. type thing. And, you know, that's funny. That's good. This is so similar to that that I I almost expected in the bottom corner the little white writing to appear and tell me the artist, the song, the year and the company that released it like we used to get at the end of music videos, you know, back when MTV showed music videos. God, that was a long time ago. Yeah, I know, long, long time ago. That's over twenty years now, man. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Christ, we're old. Uh, yeah. Um. The next. Uh, yes, I've got here. You know how I'm always going on about pop culture references and comedy and how you shouldn't do it because <laughs> it, they don't fucking work. Many years later. On, What's this? Guess what? There's one that works. Oh, really? There's one that works. So. JJ gets the um gets brought in the Spidey suit by a hobo. And uh JJ offers him some money and the hobo says, nah, I can get more than that on eBay. And I was like, ha, huh, well done. Well done. And still works in 2020. <laughs> it does. So just proves there's always an exception to my rules. Um, and then we get the little sequence after that with uh, where they're all peering in through the shutters into JJ's office and he's got the Spidey suit on without the mask and he's just jumping up on his desk going psh, 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 you know, just pretending to be Spidey. I love that bit. It's so funny. Um... We get... So now we start to get Spider-Man because he's happy. He's not being Spider. He's not being Spider-Man. He's being Peter Parker. You know, he's all happy. And obviously, we start to see. There's a few times where we see incidents occurring around him that he could help with, and he actively decides not to do anything. Like police cars and ambulances suddenly go past him, and he looks and goes, "No, no, that's not me anymore. That's not my problem." Um, but we end up with a, a burning building. I really recognise the the black guy who's outside the burning building i think he's just playing a homeless guy but i i don't know who he is and i don't know like the character is never mentioned and i can't really see it on imdb but i really really recognize him and it's really annoying me because i cannot figure out who he is um shit i never knew john landis was a, a, a doctor he goes to see um Oh, forget it. I'll look it up another time. That's really <laughs> annoying me. Because like, part of me thinks it's Terry Crews, but it can't be. 
can't be Terry Crews. Because that would just be stupid, again, because it's a tiny, tiny little bit part. And you just, you wouldn't put Terry Crews in that, would you? Anyway, something I'll tweak another day. Um, the... <laughs> There's a, there's a, uh, I've got to mention this bit just where, where Spidey goes back to, uh, back to see May, back to the house, and she's having a clear out, um, in the back garden. And he gets the line that every child like us detests hearing or fears that they are going to hear when they're older and they go back home to the parents' house. Where, where are my comic books? Or, you know, <laughs> where's, where am, where are my Transformers toys? Oh, I threw those away. <laughs> no! Oh! Honestly, it's it's crazy. Everyone hates to hear that shit. Thankfully, I, I, I've been lucky enough to not hear that shit, but it did make me chuckle. So, like, that is every comic book fan's nightmare. Yeah, I had a very small uh, comic book collection when I was young. That I have, I, even to this day, I still don't know where it is. But my mum is starting to go through uh, her garage and her her loft at the moment. So I'm fingers crossed that some some little gems might uh, might still be there. Treasures will come out then. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I wrote at this point because we're, we're not far from the end. But I, I wrote at this point. I keep trying to pick holes in the narrative and the character arcs. I'm trying to be critical. I'm trying to go, Pete. This is all nostalgia. Bav, this is all nostalgia. What are you doing? That you know, it isn't as good as you remember it. And I can't, I can't, I can't pick the faults because I'm invested. I'm, you know, I know you feel differently about Toby, but I, Mm. I, I am invested in the characters in this one. I'm invested in Spider Man's story. I'm invested in. Doc Ock's story. Now, admittedly, they are the two main driving forces through me through this film. I, you know, take or leave MJ. I could take or leave Harry Osborn. Yeah, they're, 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 but those two are so good yeah. that it it brings everything else up. The, Sorry, go the ahead. crux. Of, no, as you say, the the crux uh, of the film, which is Spider Man versus Doc Ock, the crux of the film. I have no qualms with. Aside from the fact that he's constantly taking his pissing mask off, but that's a that's a problem that we'll get to even more so in three. Um, I can say three is really the worst. Yeah, candidate uh, but but again, we've got the sequence where you know he's he's been uh, beaten to a pulp, and he's on the subway train, and you know he's he's you know he's being carried by people, and you know he's not got his mask, and they're all like, shit, this this is just a kid. That sequence is great. I do love that because they acknowledge the fact that this is just a regular, you know, New York City kid. It could be any one of them. It could be any one of their sons or nephews or whatever. And and that's a cool thing because they're like, he's one of us. And that's that. That's a sequence that I really do love. And the fact that they're not happy about the fact that it's like, you know, they, they kind of step in front of Doc Ock because they don't want him to, to beat up their, their city's hero. Um and for that, I understand. But again, it's that that seemed a little bit extended. Like he doesn't need to take it off. I understand the need to do it to a certain degree. Uh, you could have had it torn, given away part of his appearance. Uh, again, it's it's a it's the joke. Uh, I love this, and and you you will probably remember this better than anyone. Uh, there is a Justice League episode where Lex Luthor yep. gets put into the Flash's body. And then he um, is running around and then he goes to the bathroom and then he's like, oh, I can find out who the Flash is. He takes the mask off and he goes, 
I have no idea who this person is. Yeah, it's fucking brilliant, isn't it? (laughs) And it's the same thing here. It's like, yeah, you've just unmasked Spider-Man, but guess what? Nobody has a fucking clue who this guy is. It didn't matter to to, to that degree. It didn't really matter. When you get, uh, you know, uh, Civil War, the comic book much later, of which they did a really cool cover, um, which was the alternative cover, where... Spider-Man takes his mask off and reveals I'm Peter Parker, and they did an alternative cover where it's actually Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. Oh, really? Um, and uh, yeah, so it's basically the Tobey Maguire face Spider-Man. They obviously changed it, and and it's quite a cool because it was, you know, in, in in realistic proportion to to the comic book. But my problem is again that it's it's too much at times. The MJ and the Harry shit. I just want the comic book side of it. I want the 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 uh, the Doc Ock and Spider-Man stuff. Their, their interactions. You giving me a more, uh, you know, scientific conversation with them, as we discussed with that wonderful meal scene at the beginning. The, l- more interactions with that. More discussions about uh, the ethics of good and evil and doing the right thing. Give me that more than the bullshit love scenes and and the nonsensical Mary Jane trying to figure it out. That didn't do it for me. But. That said, this is still the best of these three Spider-Man films. So for for that, I'll give it. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I, I yeah, I can see that. Like I say, I, I I'm so invested in them at uh, this stage that I just the the slower moments. I'm I'm I can get through those because of my investment in what's happening around it. Um. So obviously, he decides he's going to go back to being Spider-Man because he does that thing of of. Uh, Oh no, that's slightly before. He it, as he's trying to rediscover his powers or deciding that he wants to go back again. I just want to mention there's there's a bit where he um he's jumping around and he's doing like I'm back as he's jumping and then totally fails halfway between two buildings and just falls to the ground. Fair play to the stuntman that did that fall. I mean, I know they didn't fall from the top of a building, but the bottom bit of the fall that you see is fucking brutal. He sort of bounces off a car into another car and then slams back against the car he started on. Fucking harsh, man. I would yeah. not have wanted to be the stuntman taking that shit. You got, you got to say, like, uh, for all the... Excuse me, for all the superhero uh, films and, and everything else that we watch, we always give, uh, you know, props to, to the director and to the writer and to the, to the actors. You've got to give props massively to every single stunt person in any of these films because without them, they would never pull off half the cool shit that they do now. I mean, I know that, say, Tom Holland does a great deal of his own stuff because he is... Oh, he does a lot. Uh, you know, he, he's acrobatic as shit. And, and they joke about the fact that, like, how the, the guy comes in and just, like, did a backflip off the bed and they just stood there watching him and he just lands it and he goes, is that good? And they're like... And they just all kind of just pause because they're like, did he really just fucking do that with like ease and perfection? Um, so yeah, you've got to give uh, kudos to, to every single uh, stunt coordinator, stunt person in any of these films, to be honest, because they make this shit look cool. Absolutely. I totally agree. Again, when we get to some of the MCU stuff, some of the stuff I've seen, the back behind the, sage, uh, behind the scenes stuff of that is fascinating. Particularly, I remember watching um, how they did the sequence in Civil War where, uh, is it Cap is running after Black Panther, but he's running, but he's running really fast. Mm. And it turns out he's running on a treadmill, which is being pulled along by the back of a car. 
So one of the cars on the road is pulling a mat and the stuntman is running on a mat behind the car so that it makes it look so much faster. <laughs> but it means they haven't had to speed up the footage, which is what you would have done in the past to make something look like it was going faster. You speed up the whole footage, don't you? But then, of course, the background gets sped up as well. So it's easier to tell that that's what you've done because everything's moving fast. Mm. Whereas this way, it looks incredible because only one thing is moving stupidly fast. Way yeah, faster the, than any normal human should. The Russo's, the Russo's pulled out something special in, in each of the films that they kind of did. The, you know, Winter Soldier, the the uh, the elevator scene, which they parodied oh, absolutely God, perfectly. Um, they, they perfectly parodied in Community, which was obviously a, a show which was shot and, and directed a good portion of the first few seasons by the Russo brothers, which is why I, I still encourage you to go and watch it because it is one of their, one of the things they say that they actually found grounding for some of the sequences that they could do later on. They actually grounded that in, in community because there's a paintball episode and stuff like this. And they, they look at the reality of how you can do these things. And then they went and then some uh, in, in, in that, but yeah, as you said, in each of their films, they've tried to develop something a little bit different. Um, so yeah, you've you've already touched on this sequence, but it is I, I mean it's the centerpiece sequence of the whole film, isn't it? Really, the mm. the bit where MJ and Peter are sat having a coffee, and again he's being a dick because he's just convinced her that he's not going to be a dick and he does want to be with her, and so she comes to him and he's like, "Yep, I'm ready to commit to you," and he goes, oh, yeah, actually I was wrong. Sorry, my mind was playing tricks on me. I yeah, I can't be with you." And then thankfully that whole thing gets cut off because Doc Ock attacks because he's looking for Peter, because Peter will lead him to Spider-Man. And then if he gets Spider-Man, he can give him to Harry, and then Harry will give him the Trinium for the experiment. But yeah, it's the sequence there with the car coming through the door, a uh, car coming through the coffee shop, and Peter realising and doing the Spidey sense and stuff, and then we go off on the big chase sequence on the, um, what do they call it? Subway. No, Subway would be underground. What is it when it's above ground? Because yeah, it's well, like I mean, a, a it's... raised monorail. Yeah, like, um... I don't know what they call it. Do they still call it the subway? Answers on a postcard. I think it's, I think it's the o, <laughs> o train or something like that. The over tra- over train or something. Answers like on that? a postcard. How old am I? Fuck's sake. At us, DSM underscore pod. Tell us. Um, what do you call that, Americans, New New Yorkians? I don't know. It's the same in Gotham, isn't it? Because Gotham has an overground sort of high up track thing. Yeah, in I mean, the, it's still the, part of the, the subway system, system, I suppose. I, I, I don't know. Um, they're probably not as pedantic as I am. So I love that sequence, particularly the bit where he, uh, there's the bit where he's got to go across the bridge and he's sort of flying towards the bridge and he just tucks and spins himself around through the gap. Ah, it still looks so good today. Um, he gets knocked off and then he has to catch himself back up again. That's really cool. Um, then of course, Stockhock starts throwing people off the train. So he's just webbing shooting webs for them to land in i mean scary as hell but might be quite fun mm, yeah um like, and then i landed that's it and then finally the bit where he actually stops the train is is wicked it's such a great thing you know because he tries it and it's gonna work and it's uh you know for uh, credit to toby Maguire. he that first time it strains up when he's he, so shot a few and he pulls them tight and on his, he's suddenly flattened against the front of the monorail, uh, the, the subway car. And the expression on his face is, oh, fuck, this is worse than I thought it was going to be. Shit. 
And then obviously everything breaks off and he has to try again. So he's like, right, okay, this time I've got to do it properly. I'm going to have to go fucking loads of them. And I know what I'm doing this time. And so he's, he's stopping the whole thing. Um, I just think that's a great sequence. And then as you say, yeah, all right, the mask has to get damaged so that he can take the mask off because Doc does something and a little bit of electrical fire or something goes on the mask. So he takes it off. Um, and then, as you say, he gets he gets carried carried back through the thing. The only thing that did occur to me in the modern day, someone totally would have taken a picture of him in 2020. There'd have been so many yep. fucking phones over his face. Even if, like you say, no one knew who he was and that's why it works or whatever. People mm. would have been snapping that shit all over the place. It'd have been on Twitter and Instagram mm. before you know what was going on. Um, And then, of course... From that sequence, we we lead through to sort of the the finale, uh, and he goes down to confront Otto one last time, um, because he's got MJ, and we get the Otto redemption, which again is important for the character because it reminds us that yes, the character we saw in the first place is still who he is. Something has happened that means he can't see the wood for the trees he can't see the light at the end of the tunnel he can't see that part because he's so deep in grief probably because as you say his wife died and he blames himself for it a small a level of uh corruption from the Mm. ai uh that's just niggled at at, at his fears and his desires and it's just exacerbated that exactly and in that weakened emotional state like you say it can just take hold um but yeah, he gets the redemption. He gets to destroy the machine. Spidey saves MJ. And f- f- finally, MJ fucking finds out. So yay. That's a positive. Um, but obviously, as you, they leave it as, but we still can't be together because I'm Spider-Man. So now you know exactly why we can't be together. Now, this is where I would defend then the MJ thing. Because yes, we, we then go to Harry finding the Goblin Cave, which is like, oh, okay, right, fine. I see what we're doing. All right. I wonder whether that will, you know, foreshadowing. Um, I wonder whether that will come into play later on. But then it goes to MJ at the wedding. And yes, like you say, she is literally just about to walk down the aisle and she turns and flees and leaves a note for him and goes back to Spider-Man. Now, (laughs) she, I think she, I mean, don't be wrong. She shouldn't have carried on with JJ's son anyway, because she was about to leave him and go with Spider-Man. Uh, with peter until that coffee shop scene where he went actually i'm not what you think so instead of ending the bad relationship she was in or the relationship she shouldn't have been in in the first place and just starting anew she just went back to that one and kept it ticking over that's wrong i agree but i think the motivation behind it is that she was told by peter no we can't be together because i do this and it dawned on her no i've got a choice I can choose to be with you and to take those risks that you're trying to protect me from. And I appreciate you trying to protect me from them, but it is my choice as to whether I wish to take that risk. Uh, that's the way I've always, always read it. Let's like, say I could do without the fucking sequence. I'd just rather not have it there, but you know, I'd rather just have a couple of words to, to say she's ended the relationship. One cool thing, though, is uh, is again we're talking about the the wider MCU at that point. And do you know about this cameo that when she's running through the park at the end of that sequence? No. Go on. There is a certain actor uh, who plays the Punisher in that scene. Which one was it at the Thomas time? Jane. Thomas Jane. 
Thomas Jane is in that scene. As she's running through the park, Thomas Jane is in that scene. Ah, interesting. So yeah, they totally were trying to build something. <coughs> and then the only other thing I have to mention is the uh, the American flags. You always got to have the American flags at the end, haven't you? As he's weaving through the streets past all the American flags that have suddenly appeared on, on the buildings in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, always makes uh, me shuffle. Uh, I don't know whether it's a uh, Raimi thing. I don't know whether it's a Spidey thing. I don't know whether it's a studio thing or an American I thing. I think you know what. After you know, I'll, 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 I think it's one of these things where uh, again uh, the sequence of, of, of we talked about, you know, the the subway train, whatever it was, um, where, where the you know the people are kind of protecting him and things like that. You know, they're like, hey, this is New York, and and again, it, it happens at the in the first one as well where you know the people of new york are throwing shit at green goblin like who the fuck are you like leave our people alone the unity of that city especially after uh the tragedy of 9-11 to oh, yeah, throw but... in some american flags and stuff like that isn't surprising to me um at all uh you know they're, they're a very patriotic people well mm. yeah no it's fair enough most of the time. Um, well, yeah. yeah, but they're patron. Yeah, uh, let's of... let's not go politics right now. The, the, the world's in a. Oh, you're absolutely world right. World I'm not going to carry. Let's on not now. go there. Let's not go. There. Let's go somewhere <laughs> far more entertaining. Oh fuck! Let's no, let's talk about either. the third Spider-Man film, which let's will. Well, off uh, that, that'll be a quick conversation, won't it? Yeah. I mean, essentially, I ain't going to go through this film. As I say, I, I didn't watch it again. I would. I would come out in defense of Raimi for three, for if anyone was trying to blame Raimi for the quality of three, I would defend him because I think the previous two films show he is better than three would have you believe. Um, so we know that originally the plan was uh, he wanted to do to conclude Harry Osborn's arc. So Harry Osborn was going to take on the mantle of the Green Goblin. Uh, he was fascinated by uh, Sandman, so he wanted to include Sandman, and he wanted the Vulture in there because essentially they were some of uh, Raimi's favorite Spider-Man villains, apparently. Um, now, Avi Arad is has even come out and apologized, <laughs> apparently, for uh, pushing to have Venom in there instead. So Vulture was dropped. They decided they wanted Venom. I mean, the, your problem comes from that, really, as far as I see it. Uh, well, half of your problem comes from that because then Venom isn't easy to just introduce in one film. He's not a character that has a simple origin because you've got to go through the the symbiote landing. You've got to go through the symbiote cl- you know, glomming on to Peter, changing him, making him something he's not, him recovering from that, then the symbiote going and finding someone else who actually becomes Venom. And then we can crack on with Venom. And again, we need to establish Eddie Brock as being a bit of a twat, uh, yeah. and and establish him. And I, you know, I love Topher Grace. Uh, you know, I'm still, uh, you know, a little place in my heart because he was first and foremost, uh, you know, front in uh, that '70s show, which I still love. You know, there's issues with a number of of, of actors since then, but that's beside the point. Um, but I loved him from that. He was not, and he never was going to be a good. Eddie Brock. It just wasn't going to work. They really miscast that, and that was far, that was half the battle straight away. You can you can have the guy come out of a successful TV show, and you want him in this because he's been in a successful TV show. You can't have him suddenly start working out, developing muscles, and going, "Look, I'm looking really buff." Yeah, but you're still not the character that we're looking for. You you really did. It was just so miscast. Yeah, I totally agree. And as you say, that then so not only have you now got to explain 
the Venom story and how that arcs, which I would argue you want the first half, the Spider-Man getting infected should be in one film. Mm-hmm. And then it should leave him by the end of the film and maybe glom onto the new person right at the end of the film and you cut there and you start that afresh in the next one. Now obviously none of this or the pass off, yeah. None of this could have been done by Raimi because he had no intention of using Venom at this stage. So he was thrown Venom at three and had to make it work. Here's another problem. Why add Gwen Stacy at this stage? Because as, as we've explained, Gwen Stacy comes first. Yeah. Then it goes to MJ. Yeah. And Gwen Stacy has a very important part to play in the makeup of Peter Parker. So if you've ignored that in the origin, you shouldn't bring it in now. And again, that's another character then that you've got to introduce, get us to know. You've got to do that for Sandman, and mm-hmm. you want to make him a good, nuanced character again. So you've got to give him you've got to give him backstory, you've got to give him tragedy to to for him to redeem himself in the end. There's too much there's too much to do. And, and they gave uh, instead of giving, say, you know, uh, some of the time to Sandman uh, or, or to Venom, let's 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 do more scenes with the miserable bastard that is James Franco. And yeah, you and know, that, okay, fine. We'd, let's try and put a redemption arc. And and by the end, no, it just didn't work. He'd no. been such a whiny little girl. Okay, a whiny little bitch. Uh, I'm going to say uh, throughout three films. There's no redemption for him. Like, I just there is no redemption. He he outright wanted to perhaps destroy an entire city because of his grudge against Spider-Man in the second one. He was willing to let quote unquote a mad scientist at that point turn on a machine that could com- potentially destroy the whole fucking world. Like he, he, this is not a redeemable character. I'm sorry, he just wasn't. Perhaps, he was you're just absolutely a, right. A whiny little whiny little bitch and. By the time we get to that point, and he's tried to make up his relationship with the two of them because MJ's now with Peter and he knows about all this. And it's like, no, it just didn't work. Like, again, if you're looking at the comic book as an inspiration, yes, Har- Harry has gone through some stuff with, with Peter and MJ and stuff like that. But guess what? When it boils down to it, he is quite literally the polar opposite of Norman Osborn. He isn't that complete bonkers individual. He goes through stuff as a result of what Norman's put him through in the comic books, I'll grant you. But he's not an outright dick like he is in the films. Like, and that's that that's a problem. Giving him too much time in this film, again, if that was originally Raimi's intent to uh try and go down this this route to to have uh, you know, Harry Osborn redeemed by the end of that. Okay, that's fine. And then you have to throw in this villain and then that villain and everything else. Okay, I understand that. But the problem is, after two films, nobody liked the character. Like, you go back to those films, nobody generally came out going, wow, James Franco's character was great. Nobody fucking wanted any more of him. Carry on with Sandman. Carry on with Vulture. At one point, I remember John Malkovich was in the rumor uh, for, for being the Vulture. And we've already talked about how much I love John Malkovich. He would have been fantastic. Thomas Hayden Church was severely overlooked as the Sandman. The the CG that they put to throw the Sandman together was absolutely mind-bending. The stuff they could have done with that was great. And then they throw Venom in the mix, and they just take half of the screen time and half of the money and put it into Venom instead. Yeah, that's it. You 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 put far too much in there, and you've got you've got to explain it all. You've got to get us to understand it all. And you've got to round everything off. And then you've got to tell your plot. And what's your plot? What are you going for? Well, you've got tons of little subplots and then your main plot is Venom, maybe? 
Is that what the main plot is? Is Spider-Man getting infected by Venom is half of it, and then he loses it, so then his bit is done, and then Venom just drives the rest of it? It, oh, it just doesn't work. Also, I will never, ever forgive them for rewriting the origin. Because this is the one where they rewrite the origin to say that the Sandman killed Uncle Ben. Oh, God. Who Spider-Man dealt with was an accomplice. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck off. Come on. I mean, again, I don't know why you would do that. I I can only imagine that what the studio threw at him and what Avi ever had threw at him, because I believe Gwen Stacy was the producers and Venom was Avi Arad. And I, I... I can only assume that what three, because again, I know that Alvin Sargent, along with Raimi and I think his brother, wrote the screenplay for this. Mm. And Alvin Sargent wrote the screenplay for two with no assistant credits, just him. So I'm hopeful, because these people can write a decent film and direct one. My hope is that the fact that the shit they got through at the studio, at them from the studio and such, messed everything up to the point where they couldn't reconcile certain things and you know maybe it left peter with no motivation to fight the sandman or they wanted to have a a deep personal connection there which i'd argue you don't need because at this point he's spider-man it's the third film he's a he's spider-man he fights villains they don't need to be villains that are directly tied to his backstory anymore Why, why does there have to be that personal connection it's not necessary no, I and understand. I say I think it works in the early ones. And again, yeah. the personal connection between him and Doc Ock helps. And yes, there was a personal connection between him and Norman Osborn because Norman Osborn sort of viewed him as the son he never had or always wanted. Yes, yes. Well, I yes. get that you've done it before, but yeah, you, if you've got to go back and start shoehorning shit around from the first film to try and make a tie between Sandman and Spider Man, then it's not fucking worth it, is it? Just, just fucking leave it alone. Like, can't he just be, I'm going to go and fight the Sandman? Why? Because he's just trashed the town? Mm. He's just attacked the city? And I'm Spider-Man, so I'm going to go and fight that guy, if that's all right. Yeah, not every superhero's origin has to be tied into basing Spider-Man. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There are people who don't know who he is, and they're just bad people, or something happens to them, you know? Yeah, I I don't get why that decision was made and I, d- I don't know why i i looked around to see if i could find any more info but no it's it's all the basics you know there's there's everyone said everything that's going to be said about it uh by 2020 i think so i don't know that you'd ever get more information than than i've been able to dig together from various articles from over the years that, that sort of piece bits together from interviews that various people have done um so yeah the third one was shit mm. I actually this is the... a special edition of the third one that came with my own poster that I could customise the writing on because I pre-ordered it. And you know Did what you I put, put as the tagline? This film is no, no. shit. Spider-Man 3, the one where the mask doesn't matter. Yes. Uh, but See, again, we, we joked about this. We, we joked about this throughout. But yeah, by the time we got to the third one... Now, again, this is... Uh, I think now uh, Tobey Maguire's star power is is now... Well, we, as I've said, um, uh, you know, well, like we say, two point two ended up being one of the highest-grossing movies, yeah, of, of, of all time at that yeah. point. So, yeah, yeah Tobey Maguire was suddenly a name. Yeah, and and he had that star power, and he abused it, and uh, he he was 
he was a, he was an asshole. Uh, again, there's plenty of books out there that, that you can read about it. Um, essentially boils down to him at a, a very, very illustrious poker game uh, with a number of high profile individuals, Leonardo DiCaprio, his best friend being one of them. And uh, the, the croupier, the, the person who kind of set this thing up, um, he uh, he basically got her to bark like a dog um, for like a thousand dollar chip. And uh, she refused. And he's like, you're you're too good to bark like a dog. Bark like a dog. Bark like a dog. And he's literally shouting at her. And he hasn't refuted this. It's it's entirely true. He was he was an horrible bastard. Um, so unfortunately, his star power by the time you get to three is so much so that he doesn't want Spider-Man to be on screen. He wants Tobey Maguire yeah, to be on that screen. That was the point, wasn't it? He wants... No, I need my face. I don't yeah. need the mask. I need yeah. my face. Yeah. Even though I'll be recognized as Spider-Man for for the next however many years, guess what? This will be the uh, last big film that I'm probably in because everybody realized I was such a bastard after this and nobody wanted to cast me because I thought of myself better and bigger than the film I was making. Hmm. I tell you what, that reminds me of. I, I I didn't know that story. That's interesting. I'd never heard There's, that before. That, that's that's one of many stories. Yeah, I yeah. No. You. It just who does he think he is? Do you think he's Vince McMahon talking to Trish Stratus back in the nineties or something? Mm-hmm. That's right, isn't it? I'm worried I've got my wrestling reference wrong now, but I think that's right. I think he made he, a bark uh, like a dog at one point on na- on uh, national television. Didn't oh he? yeah, I mean, pff, I mean, he he made a lot of people kiss his ass. There was a the, you know, it was the Vince McMahon kiss my ass club at one point. <laughs> yeah. Um. Right. So you know, again, Vince McMahon, if, as much as he is a genius in many respects, he's an absolute despisable human being in many others. He is despicable, as Daffy Duck would say. You know what? I think we just leave everything there. That 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 just tipped it off. <laughs> You're despicable. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. Sorry, guys. If you were expecting a nice in-depth breakdown of Spider-Man Three, I'm sorry to disappoint <laughs> you. But that's why I did kind of explain at the beginning. You weren't going to get that. Um. Yeah. I, I like I say. I I love Spider-Man Two. I think it still really holds up really well. Rewatching it, I'm pleased I did. Um, it has changed now. I think it, it, I can see changes in the way. I don't know. Things just look and feel different by the modern movie standards, and maybe that's just the way. Uh, you know, maybe as cameras have improved, you know, obviously naturally things look slightly different. So I don't know whether it's that or whether it's a change in the way things are being shot, or I don't know. But it, it, it I, I found that they're watching it that. There's there's a line somewhere. I haven't quite picked out which year the line appears in, mm. but it's before Iron Man, or Iron Man may start it, and it's it's somewhere after Spider Man's that the the superhero movie changes. Mm. I think again those the the the, the first two not the Joel Schumacher uh, Batman's, but certainly the first two Tim Burton Batman's and the first couple of X Men films mm. and the first two of these Spidey films. They all feel similar, hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's Whereas more of if an I was to watch X Men and I was to watch Iron Man, like I say, yeah, they don't feel the same. No. I mean, I get they're not the same, obviously, but they don't feel the same. They don't almost look the same. Yeah, even though they're in the same genre, and it's it's weird. I I don't know when this happened. Yeah, it's like they they feel more of an ensemble piece. It's a collective 
Uh, it's a film made by a collective of people. You've got a writer, you've got a director, you've got actors, and their vision is uh, created together. Whereas I feel that, excuse me, uh, when you get to Spider-Man 3, Raimi's vision is gone. Uh, you know, we've got the star power of, of, of individuals there, which is bigger than their actual quality. That starts to detract away from it. When we get to X-Men Last Stand, again, uh, th- there is no real vision there. We've we've already had the original director leave. Uh, you know, uh, various people come in and start redoing the script. And then you get Brett Ratner in control. Okay, it's going to be a shitstorm. That's not an ensemble piece. Again, we start moving more towards, uh, you know, the MCU. We've got Iron Man, we've got Robert Downey Jr. And we've got Jon Favreau. That feels like an ensemble piece. The two of them sitting down and with Marvel and kind of going, how are we going to move this forward? Again, we get the Russos taking that the next step in evolution. It's not, we're we're not the primary force of this. This is a collective piece. We're we're doing this together. That's not always necessarily been the case. Like you say, the Joel Schumacher films, that's Joel Schumacher's interpretation of Batman and him forcing that down everybody's throat. You've got Marvel, uh, you know, trying to force Spider-Man 3 down everybody's throat, trying to give us Venom because they think that's what we want. Let that occur organically. And again, we've seen the similar thing with, with various other DC films. Stop trying to force another version of the Justice League down my throat. I didn't like the first one. I'm not going to like this one. Sorry. I why do you had, think I making it, it nearly it twice there. as long? What, why will making it nearly twice as long and gloomier make it fucking better? Yeah. You fucking idiots. So this is the thing. I, I see it as sometimes when it's a collective approach to a film. And you hear it all the time, like, you know, with some of the X-Men films, uh, Apocalypse and Phoenix. I, I, I watched Apocalypse. I can't watch Phoenix because it's not a collective piece. You've got a bunch of shitty actors in these roles that really don't understand these characters. You've got people who've been in charge of this franchise for the last decade who don't understand these films. Stop fucking making them. Well, like Fingers saying, crossed that's not going to happen with these dickheads anymore. Hopefully not. Um, and again, you yeah, and you've got the fact that people by this point, you know, Fassbender was done. He didn't want to do any more, but he'd signed a contract for X amount of films, so fuck it, I've got to do them. Jennifer Lawrence, she didn't want to be in any of the last fucking two she was in. She wanted to fuck I, I, off. That's why they had to make a, a major part of the final one to get her to do the fucking film in the first place. And again, she's, she's another sure one. She gets killed off quickly or something? I don't know, because again, I haven't seen the last one. But I'm pretty Am sure I thinking of the end of a- in the last five, five minutes. It could be. Actually, I might be thinking of the end of Apocalypse. Because it, 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 I just I know there's one that ends with her as the head of the team. Yeah, that's Apocalypse. Is that the end of Apocalypse? Yeah, Apologies. That's the end of Apocalypse. Yeah, so must, yeah, you might be right then. Maybe she does. I, I mean, I've seen Dark Phoenix once. It was fucking bollocks, and I, I don't I, intend to watch it again. I can't. I can't. I can't besmirch the. I, I am you, as you know. I'm a huge X Men fan, and I I yeah. love a couple of the films for understandable reasons. But so many of them have just been hogwash, and the fact that New Mutants has been torn a new one, I'm glad about that, and I don't care what people think of it. I've I've watched some of it now, and I you know what? It's fucking trash for a number of reasons stop the people that have been making these films for the last decade or so from making these films anymore just stop it it, it it's amusing to me that new mutants releases as one of the first sort of fox films since the disney purchase mm-hmm. and disney are like yeah marvel uh yeah, you're you're not going to mention this distance. in the mcu at fucking all all right distance let's put distance between this and that 
I do not want you touching this and bringing this anywhere near our successful franchise, please. No. No. <laughs> oh, dear. Dear, dear me. So, any final thoughts on anything? No, not no, that we've stopped mean, Spider-Man, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we originally started talking about Spider-Man. We're like two hours in now, and, and we probably... I only talked about three quarters of Spider-Man. Uh, no, at the end of the day, uh, as we've said, the, the first one was, uh, was was beginning to set the benchmark for what future superhero films were going to be moving forward. The success and the commerciality, commercial ability of it was never more paramount uh, with that one than it ever was going to be moving forward. That in itself set the benchmark. The second one began to show that uh, an actual superhero film can be a critical and commercial success. It can actually have good parts to it. Uh, you can have good acting, you can have a good action. And then they went down the rabbit hole with three and they realized they just shut the bed. Let's let's try and put too much in too big of a film. So in, in many respects, it's good that those three occurred because it started to show what they can do moving forward and also show what they shouldn't do moving forward. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Good point. It taught, taught lessons. Taught lessons all the way around. I don't think they fucking learned them, but did teach lessons all the way around. No, and I, and I only mean I, I'm referencing. I think Amazing Spider-Man Two in that situation. Yeah, um, that, and even though it only had two villains, I think it still didn't seem to have enough time to properly, efficiently cover everything it wanted to, and it only turned the Rhino into the Rhino in the final sequence. So yeah, again, uh, again, like you, you, you know, again, I love some of these these actors. Paul Giamatti is, is fantastic. He's incredible. Jamie Foxx, you know, fantastic actor. What the fuck well, are you doing? Well, he's he's gotten worse as time's gone on, in my opinion. But that's that's okay. Fair enough. Um, so I'm thinking back to sort of Ray. I think he's really good in Ray and stuff. Yeah, like that. Uh, uh, any given Sunday, one of his first films, he's he's fantastic in that. Um, and at the end of the day, we we at this moment, as as far as I still understand it, Sam Raimi attached to to Doc Strange two. So you know, at the end of the day, give him a little bit more of the creative freedom that he had uh, with two and. Uh, Shit, he could really knock it out of the park with. Uh, the I hope so, because again, he can he can put you you know it's multiverse of madness, isn't it? So we can have some nice little bits of horror in there. And I like I say, I am personally a huge fan of Sam Raimi's approach to horror. Um, I know I don't just mean the Evil Dead films. I I even think Drag Me to Hell, one of his more recent ones, is is on the surface seems like one thing and then actually when you watch it is is a, a totally different level to the rest of the stuff that advertises it around that largely because of the the man behind the man in the director's chair and, and the way he composes things and, and puts the thing together but there you go as we say that's uh another podcast for another day so um i shall end it there then so i have been bath i have been fluff and this has been Screen Masters.